Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Conspiraporn Podcast, brought to you by Conspiraporn.com, as well as Conspiracult and Mental Pop on Facebook. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'll be your host today. And how about those mandatory vaccines? Why, who could have ever guessed that there would be mandatory vaccines and vaccine passports and contact tracing apps and calls to snitch on your neighbor for having too many people over to a birthday party? Surely that's all just some wild conspiracy theory promoted by idiot Trump supporters, right? No, not at all. And I definitely am not a Trump supporter, and I want to make that clear at the offset. Because all we keep seeing over and over from the media is how all anti-vaxxers are Trump supporters and how all of the most COVID-affected states are Republican states and yada, yada, yada with the continuation of division and the further politicizing of COVID-19. Now, despite Biden claiming four times previously that he would not make vaccines mandatory and the U.S. press secretary recently stating it was not the government's job to mandate vaccines, yet now old creepy Joe has dictated that vaccines be mandatory for any business of over 100 people or they will face fines in excess of thousands of dollars per unvaccinated employee. And not only that, but he's blaming the unvaccinated for the current state of the economy and the unemployment rate, saying he's lost patience. He's running out of patience with the American people who have not been vaccinated. And if he could, I'm sure he'd also blame the unvaccinated for the unanimously fumbled clusterfuck of the evacuation from Afghanistan. Now, I'm pretty sure that just the past month, Biden has ensured that he won't get reelected, as his approval rating is now dipping below 40%, and he's sure to continue uh, to overreach his authority and generally be a senile village idiot puppet for the next three years, which is very unfortunate for the American people. Now, if Trump had mandated vaccines, uh, the left would have called him a tyrant and a dictator and compared him to Hitler. The hypocrisy and double think that's going on right now is simply infuriating and unbelievable. And ladies and gentlemen, as I prepare today's episode and research notes, it is September 11th, 2021. So it seems fitting that I try to tackle uh, my presentation on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 as we are dealing with very similar structures of surveillance and contact tracing and snitching on your neighbor and internet censorship and government overreach and downright tyranny which also accompanied uh, the September 11th attacks of 2001 and the Patriot Acts, uh, which why wouldn't you know it? Joe Biden co-wrote those. I'm going to have to undoubtedly mention Biden and Trump throughout today's episode. And let me say right now, I pretty much dislike both of them equally and think that neither one of them are fit to be the president. And it's a tragedy that this is the best that America has to offer, uh, not only to itself, but on the world stage. It's a bad joke filled with unfunny clowns we have the former president challenging the current president to a celebrity boxing match, and both of these dudes are pushing 80 years old. It's a rather pitiful state of affairs. And guess what? Biden's new mandate for American workers is not for Congress or their staff. Yep, that's right. Congress and their staff are exempt from the mandate, while Pelosi recently stated herself there was no way to push Senate to get vaccinated, and they did not require, nor could they require, proof of vaccination status for the Senate. So the mandate is for the peons and debt slaves of society, not for Congress and the Senate. And perhaps the most asinine and head-scratching and WTF comment from Biden's recent speech about vaccine mandates was the statement that he, quote, wants to protect vaccinated workers from the unvaccinated. Let me repeat that. He wants to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. And then a few days later, Kamala Harris repeats the same thing by saying that they want 
more people get vaccinated and wear masks and contact trace in order to protect the vaccinated. And what world does that make any sense if the vaccines are working effectively? He wants to blame unvaccinated Americans while saying he wants to protect vaccinated Americans from getting sick because of the unvaccinated. Despite the fact that vaccinated and unvaccinated are both proven to be equally as infectious. This is the same guy who said a month or two ago, uh, while trying to brag on the progress of vaccinations in the U.S., that 350 million Americans had been vaccinated. There are only 340 million Americans, yet Biden said more people have been vaccinated in the U.S. than who actually live in the U.S. The man, the president of the United States, doesn't know how many people there are in America. Yet he wants to shame those who have not been vaccinated. And all of this despite the fact that about 52% of Americans are stated to have now be fully vaccinated, uh, with about 80% who have had at least one dose, who, who are believed to have antibodies and now some natural immunity to the disease. We have a 12% positive infection rate in the past 20 months. Uh, that's right, only 12% has supposedly been confirmed to have COVID, which is questionable statistics in the first place. Uh, But if we take it at face value, we've had a 12% infection rate who have tested positive in the past 20 months in the United States with a death ratio of about 1.5% of that 12%. Yet 52% have now been vaccinated and 80% has had at least one dose. And let me sidestep a little bit here by saying that of those deaths in the United States, uh, to be from COVID, uh, 20% of them came out of New York and L.A. And we still have lingering questions on whether or not the now disgraced former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, purposefully packed nursing homes with infected people in order to cause more deaths and generate more federal funding. But that aside, how is a 52% vaccination rate in the U.S. against a 12% infection rate not enough? And when is enough enough? Folks, I don't think it's ever going to be enough. I think they've got control and they've got their hooks in now and they're not going to let it go. An article this week out of Israel says they are getting ready to administer the fourth dose of the vaccine. That's four shots in a damn year. COVID has had a one million positive cases out of a total population of nine million in Israel with only 7,000 deaths. So we can say that one million positive cases out of nine million people seems like a lot. The death toll of those 1 million positive cases amounts to 7,000 deaths, which is mortality rate of under 1%. Yet they are about to give out the fourth dose of the vaccine. And along with all of this, Biden also stated in the past few days that he was determined to make sure that at least 70% of the global population was vaccinated. He's talking about vaccinating 6 billion people and Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson and all of the rest of the big pharma cartel companies say that they have billions of vaccines being shipped out as we speak. i got to start today's episode off with a few warnings. Now, today, of course, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and a whole bunch of lingering questions and doubts. And there's a lot to cover on today's episode in regards to this topic. And if you or someone you know has struggled with COVID-19 over the past year and a half, or if you've lost a loved one to COVID-19 or complications from COVID-19 in the past year or two, then I apologize if you find this episode offensive. If you find questions offensive, but don't blame me. I'm just a messenger myself and people like me are not responsible for all the ills of this world. And the last time I checked, it was still supposedly a free country. 
at least in terms of freedom of speech, regardless of how much uh, social media such as Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google seek to block and ban and delete opposing viewpoints that question the mainstream narrative. But on the topic of if you or a loved one have suffered from COVID, I completely expect that in the next five or ten years we're going to start seeing commercials for uh, did you or a loved one suffer from the ill effects of the COVID vaccine? If so, you might be entitled to compensation. I also want to say I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not saying COVID isn't a real thing. Uh, what I'm saying is there are, there are a whole lot of questions that need to be asked. And in fact, there are enough questions for me, uh, who is just a regular dude of moderate intelligence, that I can devote a nearly two-hour episode to nothing but questions and suspicions we should be raising about COVID-19 over the past two years. We're in the 21st century, folks. Let's at least try to live up to those expectations, if not for ourselves, then for the next generation. Also, for the record, I'm obviously, I'm not a health expert, nor am I a professional making money off of this podcast and websites. I'm not pushing a political angle because I think both sides really are the same side, and both are vile and corrupt. As they say, they're two wings of the same bird, though it's more of a vulture than of an eagle or a phoenix. I'm a dude with a slightly above average intelligence and a GED, who nevertheless has spent the past 20 years investigating any and all subjects of the so-called conspiracy world and the new world order. Uh, From 2003 to 2010, I ran a modestly popular website called nwowatcher.com. So obviously I've devoted a substantial portion of my life as a sort of independent investigative journalist who attempts to put certain pieces together in a certain order that perhaps many people have overlooked or haven't quite connected the dots with the same perspective, or perhaps you're just a little too afraid to talk about it. I've always had a deep distrust for government, politics, and media, both mainstream and alternative, and I've always felt a personal ethical obligation of integrity to try and express my research into words that might help a few people out there connect their own dots. But again, obviously, and of course, I'm not a medical expert And I can only relay the information today from my own experiences and perspective and research. So the biggest takeaway I'm trying to relay here is do your own research. Anything I talk about today, please go research it further. And if you disagree, or if you agree, or if you find more pieces of the puzzle that you'd like to share that you think are important to the message today, uh, you can hit me up at conspiraporn.com or the private conspiracult group on Facebook or at my email mad. The number's 247 at weirdness.com. Likewise, uh, I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to today's episode of Conspira Porn, uh, which I personally feel is an important episode. Uh, so if you get anything out of today's information and perspective, please feel free to hit me up, and please help spread the word and share links for this podcast. Once again, I'm just a dude with a phone, and I don't edit this show or add any special effects, nor do I run ads or commercials or try to make a few extra bucks off of this podcast. Uh, so any word of mouth or sharing of links or constructive criticism is always appreciated. And also that being said, that I don't edit the show, show I'm going to fumble over some words. And I'm probably going to cough because I'm not used to talking for two hours at a time other than with these podcasts. And I don't have a cough button. So please excuse any coughs, uh, hiccups, gulps, uh, or any other strange noises you hear uh, emanating from your uh, phones today as you listen to this episode. And before we dive any further, I wish to say that I have uh, been gainfully employed uh, throughout the entire pandemic. While everything was locked up and closed down, I was still going to work. And to be noted, I work in a plant of around 300 people, and I never once got sick, 
never tested positive for COVID, uh, never got COVID to my knowledge. I never had to quarantine, nor did anyone in my plant get dramatically ill from COVID. Uh, nobody died from it at my workplace in the past year and a half. A few people did report getting pretty ill with flu-like symptoms, but the vast majority said their symptoms were mild to no symptoms, uh, with the most prevalent being a headache that lasted for a few days and maybe some sniffles. And despite going all of 2020 with being called essential and a hero and being thanked for my brave service, and despite the fact that I never got COVID and I never got sick, I'm now being uh, faced with a vaccine mandate that if I don't take the needle, I will lose my job and uh, will be considered a traitorous scumbag. Uh, who selfishly only cares about himself, and who is responsible for all the ills of the world. It went from being an essential hero during the pandemic to take these experimental vaccines or you'll lose your job. And I'm not quite sure how to begin with the accumulated information of today's topic, which is COVID-19, of course, and all the mutations and variants that we so far know about, and the various impacts it's had on 2020 and 2021, and we'll surely have into the next year or two, or maybe even longer, as it seems they're going to try to milk this for all that it's worth for as long as they can. But I wanted to state up front that I am not a health expert or professional, and to relay a little bit of personal information about my own work situation over the past two years. It's a little frustrating to know that I could have just stayed home and been unemployed for the better part of the past two years and made almost as much money doing nothing as I made from going to work every fucking day during a supposedly dangerous and deadly pandemic where the best thing I got was a lousy t-shirt telling me that I was essential. And now we have politicians and media people and celebrities saying, if you're not vaxxed, you shouldn't be able to leave the house. Politicians that are saying, we're going to make life as hard as we can for the unvaccinated. As they sit there in their $5 million homes and have all their groceries delivered and meals cooked for them. Gee, can I still fucking go to work? Or do I need to stop going to work now that there are vaccines and I'm not vaccinated? And I'm not planning on getting vaccinated. This country is a nation of finks and talking head hypocrites with big opinions who haven't worked a day in their lives and now want to dictate who's allowed to leave their damn house. So hell's bells, where to begin here today? Uh, Let me say once again, that I was not a Trump supporter or a Trump voter, nor am I a fan or a voter for Biden. And in fact, I voted across the board libertarian in the last election, which was the first time that I've ever voted in my life. So anybody listening out there today that would want to claim that I'm some brain-dead QAnon, Fox News-watching, right-wing extremist Trump supporter, you can go pound that up your ass along with your vaccine. But I am as a free-thinking individual with access to a lot of information, the same information that's available to anybody that looks for it. And the ability to put some pieces together in a cohesive fashion in which pokes a lot of holes in the mainstream narrative of what's been going on in the past uh, year and a half. I believe I'm a person with more than adequate cognitive reasoning skills and the ability of critical thinking, which is something that unfortunately a whole lot of Americans lack these days and would instead rather rather allow MSN or Fox News to tell them what's real or other political talking heads or so-called health experts. Let me also say a lot of what we're going to be discussing today is the very reason that a a Facebook page that I ran with 10,000 members was deleted for community standard violations earlier this year. It's because of these holes that can be poked and the questions that can be asked 
from logical and rational perspectives of people who are trying to articulate certain key points that the mainstream and all of the other corporate scumbags don't want you asking. They don't like people who can think for themselves, especially if they are able to do so in a coherent and rational and peaceful fashion. There's also why there are a lot of fake accounts out there and a lot of bots out there on social media stirring up disinfo and division and drama so they can further justify why they have been blocking and banning accounts due to the disinformation that they themselves are spreading in order to make all questions look like crazy conspiracy theories. And don't get me wrong, because um, there clearly are a lot of crazy conspiracy theories out there. A lot of unproven, uh, unprovable speculation presented as facts. A lot of false information being presented as truth. Uh, but w- by what might well be uh, well-meaning individuals. Uh, But just because a meme has been shared 50,000 times doesn't necessarily make it true. I'm pretty much 100% against the so-called woke culture that permeates the world of ridiculous theories presented as facts. And again, I'm sure many of them are well-meaning. But woke culture, it's not for me. And I highly question any individual who claims they are woke and that you are a sheep if you don't believe the same things that they do. You know the old saying, None are so hopelessly enslaved as those who falsely believe they are free. But I digress. Needless to say, it's hard for me to take a lot of what's going on too seriously. It was back in February and March of 2020 when lockdowns were first in discussion in the United States, and we only had 200 confirmed cases of COVID in America, that I began questioning the narrative and posting stats of annual death tolls, uh, such as cancer and heart disease, which are in excess of 1 million deaths a year in the United States combined annually, or that a child dies of starvation every 10 seconds on this planet, which is about 3.5 million kids a year, not to mention another 7 million adults who die from starvation every year. Anyway, it was when I started mentioning these annual death statistics uh, that a few people started calling me a dangerous idiot and telling me I needed to to delete the information and should be very worried and afraid of COVID. Because somehow, despite there only being 200 confirmed cases in the U.S. at that time, these self-righteous assholes already seemed to know people who uh, were personally, who were in the hospital and dying, and were telling me I was a risk to the public health by spreading so-called disinfo, even though all I was stating was statistical facts of annual U.S. death tolls that nobody ever really seemed to care about before. I wasn't for the lockdowns, but given the information we were being presented with, that supposedly millions of people, millions of Americans, were going to die within three months if we didn't lock down and wear masks, and we needed two weeks to flatten the curve, I was highly skeptical and trying to relay other information and statistics, but decided to just relax and see how it all played out over the next two weeks, because what else could you really do with the time? And to me, you want to know what my honest first impressions were of COVID hitting the U.S. and the lockdowns? It felt like a threat. felt like a threat that if we didn't do what we were told and fall in line, and if we didn't lock down, and maybe even if we didn't vote blue, things were going to get much, much worse for Americans. I felt like we were being threatened to go along with lockdowns and masks, And maybe these insane maniacs would go ahead and kill a million Americans just to get us in line. The more people fear, the more they demand the chains of their own enslavement. And the hardest part of two weeks to flatten the curve was the first 20 months. But my point is, 
People were already jumping down my throat for questioning the narrative back when we only had 200 confirmed cases in the U.S. So needless to say, I'm sure those people and their self-righteous virtue signaling kicked into high gear as those cases of infections kept rising and the death totals kept on adding up. Those people probably are still uh, smugly patting themselves on the back for being such outstanding and compassionate citizens with their two doses of the vaccine and the third dose on the way as they still fiendishly watch the daily ticker of COVID deaths so they can feel justified in their own moral superiority. What I'm saying here is that the self-righteous virtue signaling started before lockdowns in the U.S. had even began and when there was only 200 reported cases. And of course, 99% of those who were virtual signal, virtue signaling and helping to spread the worry and anxiety of how terrible COVID was or how bad it was going to get were also vehement haters of Donald Trump who took every opportunity to talk about how Trump uh, needed to be voted out of office pretty much by any means necessary. And COVID was already being politicized as a failure of Donald Trump when there were only 200 reported cases. And ironically, it was these same so-called compassionate humanitarians who I saw time and time again and sometimes directed at me, uh, tell people who oppose lockdowns and masks and vaccines that, quote, I hope you and your whole family get COVID and die. Remember the video of the Karen at Walmart last year who, was, who accosted a man for not wearing a mask and she told him he was a Neanderthal and she couldn't wait until he and his family died of COVID? Yeah, there's a lot of that talk going around and there still is, with celebrities stating that hospitals should no longer treat the unvaccinated and just let them die. So yeah, Add that to a huge list of reasons why I can't take any of this very seriously, nor the virtuous hypocrites who claim to care about their neighbors. They care about their neighbors as long as they think the exact same way they do and agree with everything they say and think and do. Otherwise, they could care less whether they live or die. Another thing to state from the old memory hole, and I have a pretty decent memory, which is something powers that be don't like, and that's why they try to block and ban and delete accounts down the old memory hole Shoot. Uh, but one of the things is that the daily media hype of COVID started back in December of 2019 when mainstream media outlets were saying that a new virus had come out of China and not only out of China, but in all probability out of the Wuhan lab in China. The very first reports of COVID was that it was uh, in one way or another leaked out of the Wuhan lab in China. And of course, many months later, after Trump started stupidly calling it the China virus, the media did a 180 and stated that it had not come out of the Wuhan lab and started labeling posts on social media as false news that people were pointing fingers at Wuhan and the roughly $4 million in grants that had uh, recently been donated to the lab by the United States over the course of both the Obama and the Trump administrations. And here we are now two years later, and while we're once again allowed to question the origins of COVID in relation to Wuhan, uh, supposedly, the greatest intelligence agencies in the U.S. still can't pinpoint how the virus originated and whether it was man-made or even more questionably and unbelievably if it came out of a wet market near the Wuhan lab uh, where people were eating some infected bats, which had then spread to hundreds of millions of people. And what exactly was it uh, that really led us to U.S. lockdowns? It wasn't really what happened in China, but it was what happened in Italy as the death toll rose dramatically in the early part of 2020, with thousands of people dying in a matter of weeks. And this isn't conspiracy. Uh, this episode is not about conspiracy. Uh, but I can't help but see that this is also the seat of the Vatican and the Vatican's role in world affairs and what some would know as the globalist plan for the, quote, new world order. But again, this isn't a conspiracy episode. 
so that's all I'm going to say about the COVID deaths in Rome, which kicked off the lockdowns in the, in the first place. Uh, but what are the citizens of Italy doing now? They are protesting in mass against mandatory vaccinations and vaccine passports and authoritarian lockdowns and contact tracing, etc., etc. In fact, they are protesting this in mass all over the world. And that surely doesn't mean that uh, all of these global citizens are Republicans or crazy conspiracy theorists. They're protesting all over the world, and that doesn't mean they were Trump supporters or watching Fox News. <sighs> okay, so let's move along. And we're going to jump around on today's episode, and I apologize for that. But there's really no way to chronologically handle all this information. So I'm going to do my best to present all of this as cohesively and as much of a chronological order as I can. Uh, but a whole hell of a lot has happened over the past two years. A whole hell of a lot of back and forth conflicting information by so-called experts. And a whole lot of confusion and disinfo and propaganda from both sides of the b- debate have been spread on social media. And let me say nothing And I repeat, nothing that I'm going to talk about today is so-called conspiracy theory. All of the information I'm going to relay is factual, can be proven, fact-checked, and in most cases, when I'm using statistics and information regarding facts and figures, it comes directly from the CDC's own website or information provided by the CDC. The only conspiracy uh, that we can take from anything on today's episode will be in drawing your own conclusions. But the information itself is factual and can be cross-referenced through multiple sources. Likewise, to those of you who have been paying attention to details over the past year and a half, not a whole lot of this information is going to be new to you today. Uh, But I felt it was my own personal civic duty to collect all of this in a cohesive fashion and try to formulate and articulate uh, a representation of the information and the facts herein, uh, if for no one else than just for myself. So before we can move ahead... Let's jump back to October of 2019 with what is known as Event 201, uh, which was hosted by the John Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It took place on October 18th of 2019. Uh, The event was theoretically to model out what would take place in the event of a super flu if it emerged and spread across the globe and how the powers that be would handle such an event and how this would affect not only the health of the population at large, but also the economic structure of society as a whole. Event 201 predicted lockdowns and job losses and hospital overcrowding and death tolls in the millions of people. And I want you to remember John Hopkins University and the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates, who uh, sponsored this event, because all of those organizations will be coming up several times throughout today's episode. But again, it was Event 201, uh, which pretty much predicted everything that would happen over the course of the next two years. And let me give a brief summary of exactly what Event 201 entailed. Event 201 was a 3.5-hour pandemic tabletop exercise that simulated a series of dramatic scenario-based facilitated discussions confronting difficult true-to-life dilemmas associated with response to a hypothetical but scientifically plausible pandemic. Fifteen global businesses, government, and public health leaders were players in the simulation exercise that highlighted unresolved Uh, real-world policy and economic issues that could be solved with sufficient political will. 
financial investment and attention uh, now and in the future. The exercise consisted of pre-recorded news broadcasts, live staff briefings, and moderated discussions on specific topics. Uh, These issues were carefully designed in a compelling narrative that educated the participants and the audience. Experts agree that it was only a matter of time before one of these epidemics become global, a pandemic with potentially catastrophic consequences. A severe pandemic, which becomes Event 201, uh, would require reliable cooperation among several industries, national governments, and key international institutions. And ladies and gentlemen, Event 201, uh, it wasn't the first such exercise of its kind Uh, nor uh, the first hosted by John Hopkins in the World Economic Forum, nor the Bill Gates Foundation. Yet it was one of the first of this scale to imagine a super flu, specifically, and coincided directly with the arrival of COVID-19, which arrived out of China, uh, more specifically centered around the world-famous virology lab in Wuhan, China, just six weeks later. So hot off the heels of the training exercise of Event 201, which was to host various corporations and leaders and international banking interests, uh, we had the arrival of a super flu out of China just six weeks later. Now, some would claim this is all just a coincidence, and it's not related at all. And you can fact check it. You look at Snopes, fact check. No, this isn't true. We think this is unreliable. This just is a coincidence. Folks, I'm not here to peddle conspiracy theories today. I'm just here to state facts and allow listeners to make up their own minds and draw their own conclusions. And if it was just Event 201, perhaps we could end it there and just say it was a coincidence. But in my mind, there are too many other coincidences that we'll be discussing today. Uh, it's just too suspicious that these uh, circumstances... We can't just say this is circumstantial. All these things just don't line up, and it's all just blown off as coincidence. If nothing else, we have to at least be allowed to ask questions about this without being fact-checked immediately when we post something that is untrue and believing that it's untrue because it comes from a mainstream news source that says this isn't real. Now, connected with this, uh, perhaps we have the UN and what they call Agenda 21, or the 2030 Sustainable Development Program. Now, Agenda 21 has been around for decades, and its original push was to be implemented, implemented in the year 2000. Uh, with what what some consider to be radical methods of sustainable development, uh, i.e. what I see is Go Green, a Go Green campaign, heavily focused on new technologies and implementations of what they deem to be global sustainable development. Now, many conspiracy theorists uh, have long attached the term New World Order into the Agenda 21 scenario by the UN, and there there might be some truth to that. And what we see right now, uh, with a questionable bit of timing, is the solidification of this Agenda 21 plan. Uh, The 21 meaning the 21st century. Uh, And they want to accomplish this by the year 2030, which is in the next decade. Now, I'm not going to dwell on the UN's uh, Agenda 21 or say that it's announcing the plan of a new world order. Because, for one, I don't think that they'd straight out announce their plans in such a fashion, particularly not decades in advance, and nowhere in the UN documents for Agenda 21 does it talk about a global government. Uh, it doesn't talk about a global government or a cashless society or a one-world religion or anything of that nature. However, all that being said, I am highly suspicious of most things involving the UN. And I would tend to believe uh, wherever there might be a global push for a new world order, the UN uh, would definitely be involved with that. And again, to some of those who might be listening and hear me say the term New World Order and think it's just some kooky conspiracy theory, why don't you do some research 
and uh, into the fact that the term the New World Order has been brought up as a goal time and time again by both Presidents Bush Sr. and Jr., as well as current President Joe Biden. Just this week, the health chief of Australia used the term New World Order when referring to the future of COVID-19 restrictions in the country. Dr. Kerry Chant, who is the Central Health Chief of Australia, stated this week, We will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the New World Order. Yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. And of course, when this quote and hashtag New World Order started trending on social media, the fact checkers immediately started flagging posts as false information and that the New World Order is nothing but an unfounded conspiracy theory. And if we want to look at what's uh, likely to come from the United States and the rest of the world, one need look no further than the Orwellian Police State Surveillance Society of what's now taking place in Australia, where the goddamn health chief is straight up calling it a new world order. Australia, which has had 75,000 positive cases and 1,000 deaths, uh, and that's against a total population of 25 million people. 1,000 deaths against 25 million people, and they have used every draconian measure at their disposal to lock down everything, require vaccine passports, contract tracing facial recognition apps to enforce quarantines, and has also banned international travel out of the country. Speaking of Joe Biden, people might want to do some research into his heavy, heavy involvement in the CFR or the Council on Foreign Relations. Biden was a longtime and rather influential member of the CFR and has promoted ideas of the New World Order on several occasions, is right in line with the ideas of the CFR, who itself promotes a one-world viewpoint in terms of socioeconomics. And the CFR, a think tank, which was founded in 1921, is actually the very model for the United Nations, which was founded in 1945. And of course, both the uh, Council on Foreign Relations and the United Nations always use flowery language of peace and equality and prosperity and the desire to end world hunger, etc., etc. But to many researchers, uh, this all just seems like a facade for what would be deemed globalization, which indeed has the goals of a new world order, a one world cur currency, a cashless society, police state, endless monitoring and surveillance, and complete control of information and infrastructure. Uh, so again, I'm not going to go off in some conspiracy-minded rant here other than to say the CFR and the UN are heavily connected and Biden is a high-ranking member of the Council on Foreign Relations and both the CFR and UN are very influential in public policies, in particular U.S. policies. And I absolutely do believe, uh, for as cliche as it sounds, uh, that there has been for decades this idea of a new world order or the Novus Ordo Seclorum, which is on the back of every dollar bill with its pyramid and all-seeing eye, a new order of the ages. And this plan of a globalization and international banking uh, conglomerate and mega corporate interest groups. And when we talk about the UN plan of global sustainability, at the very least, we're looking at a, a form of population control. And I didn't say population reduction necessarily, though population reduction is very likely a goal as well. Uh, but it's in no way conspiratorial to think that the powers that be would want global population levels uh, to level off and sustain themselves at a certain point. There's no outline or plan of sustainability that will conform to the idea of our current population of 8 billion people uh, becoming 16 billion people in the next 100 years or so, and that being workable and a livable environment, uh, nor for the powers that be maintaining their ability to control twice as many people. So the idea of population sustainability 
or leveling off the population at a certain number, is a very real concept and goal of the elite, and it's not uh, hard to see why. And friends, maybe they really and truly do want depopulation of the planet, and not just to sustain it at a certain number. Maybe there really are government think tanks and globalist plans for reducing the population by half. But I'll again say uh, it is not in the least bit conspiratorial to think that the UN and in turn the CFR's plans are to lower the rate of human breeding and the number of children people have uh, when considering the quote-unquote saving the planet and maintaining a structure of control and sustainability. And if we really want to talk about population control, or more specifically a depopulation agenda, there were reports uh, from both the CDC and UN last year in the middle of lockdowns that due to the breaks in the supply chain and food scarcity, that starvation levels were expected to double. They actually stated that the starvation epidemic would be of biblical proportions, and those were their exact words. Famine levels of biblical proportions. So instead of the annual 8 to 10 million people who die from starvation across the globe annually, we would have been looking at up to 20 million deaths from starvation directly related to COVID lockdowns and break, breaks in the uh, supply chain. For the record, if indeed an extra 10 million people died of starvation due to COVID lockdowns, uh, that's twice as many people uh, than those who have actually been reported to have died from COVID. New reports just released state that an extra 30 million people were pushed down below the poverty line due to lockdowns and loss of jobs across the globe. And we can't forget another report from last year, again from the CDC, that stated it was estimated that 30,000 Americans had died during lockdowns uh, because hospitals were only taking COVID cases or because these people were afraid to seek medical help due to the fact that they were locked down and worried about catching COVID. So according to their own reports from last year that quickly got swept under the rug, by the way, they had estimated that about 30,000 Americans had died from not seeking medical treatment during lockdowns or because hospitals were turning them away because they were only taking COVID patients at this time. And let's not get started on the fact that last year the CDC director himself said that they were seeing more accounts of suicide or suicide attempts during lockdowns than they were seeing of COVID deaths. The suicide rate, which has already gone up nearly 40% over the past 20 years in the United States, was expected to double due to lockdowns and the anxiety and depression and isolation caused by these events, not to mention job loss, economic insecurity. We have many health experts saying that we can expect an epidemic of suicide in the U.S., of which it will take years to fully understand and recognize. And folks, I definitely have my own thoughts and suspicions on all this. But like I said, I don't want to come off as conspiratorial today. And to deal, and I just want to deal with facts as much as possible. So I'm leaving any further intuitions and research up to you in regards to a population control or population uh, reduction agenda and how this all ties into COVID and possibly even into the vaccines. And whatever the case, whatever the case, we can't help but to ask ourselves if the cure has been far worse than the disease. But keeping all of this in mind, we had in early 2020, at the very earliest stages of lockdown, what the global elite have called the Great Reset. And their idea for this is to use COVID as a great global economic reset, uh, which they don't hide this fact. It's not a conspiracy. It's an agenda. And yes, perhaps we could say it's coincidence and that they are merely utilizing the pandemic as a means for this so-called Great Reset. And a handful of books and papers have been published about the Great Reset. Uh, Some would say suspiciously, uh, quick, in relation to the outbreak of COVID-19. 
And it was the World Economic Forum itself. Yes, the World Economic Forum, which was involved with Event 201, co-hosted by John Hopkins University and the Bill Gates Foundation. It was the World Economic Forum itself, which hosted its 50th anniversary in June of 2020, which was entitled, yeah, you guessed it, The Great Reset, in which they state... Quote, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world of capitalism. And I mentioned books. It was the great economic forum founder, Klaus Schwab, who published the book COVID-19, The Great Reset, right in the middle of the pandemic and global closures and during what was the greatest economic decline since the Great Depression. And let's look at a few quotes from Mr. Klaus Schwab who was born in Germany in 1938. Uh, To begin, Mr. Schwab seems to be fascinated with transhumanism, where he sees a merger of humans and machines, whereby, in his own words, will be, quote, curious mixes of digital and analog life. Uh, He delights in sensors, memory switches, and circuits that can be encoded in common human gut bacteria. And that smart dust arrays of full of computers with antennas, uh, each much smaller than a grain of sand, can now organize themselves inside of the body. And that, quote, implanted devices will likely also help to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone and potentially unexpressed thoughts or moods by reading brain waves and other signals. Also, Mr. Schwab uh, gleefully states, quote, It is now far easier to manip- manipulate with precision the human genome with an inviolable embryo means uh, that we are likely to see the advent of designer babies in the future who possess particular traits or who are resistant to specific diseases. And if this isn't alarming enough, Mr. Schwab is now using the pa- pandemic to promote his personal version of hygiene. According to Mr. Schwab, quote, the pandemic will certainly heighten our focus on hygiene. A new obsession with cleanliness will particularly entail the creation of new forms of packaging. We will be encouraged not to touch the products we buy. Simple pleasures like smelling a melon or squeezing a fruit will be frowned upon and may even become a thing of the past. As if those fascinations and interests aren't strange and alarming enough, about COVID-19, Mr. Schwab writes the following, quote, One of the greatest lessons of the past five centuries in Europe and America is this. Acute crises contribute to boosting the power of the state. It's always been the case, and there's no reason why it should be any different with the COVID-19 pandemic. And what better way to do that than with youth activism, according to Mr. Schwab? Uh, Youth activism is increasing worldwide, being revolutionized by social media that increases mobilization to an extent that would have been impossible before it. It takes many different forms, ranging from non-institutionalized political participation to demonstrations and protests, and addresses issues as diverse as climate change, economic reforms, gender equality, and LGBTQ rights. The young generation is firmly at the vanguard of social change. There is little doubt that it will be the catalyst for change and a source of critical momentum for the Great Reset. Quote. (laughs) Now what I see in these comments are two things specifically. And that is that COVID-19 has and should increase the power of the state, according to Mr. Schwab. He says that clearly enough. And secondarily, he states, and this is how I read it, 
that social media and perhaps social media propaganda and control of social media can be utilized to mobilize the youth activist and push the agendas and goals of the Great Reset. Now, if you see this differently, please feel free to hit me up and express your disagreements uh, in this point of view and this interpretation of Mr. Schwab's uh, comments. My point here is this. The founder of the World Economic Forum, who helped it host and was present at Event 201, immediately published a book called The Great Reset, as well as the 50th anniversary celebration of the World Economic Forum itself was entitled The Great Reset. And this took place right in the middle of lockdowns. And Klaus Schwab is not uh, the only one who is pushing for this idea of utilizing COVID-19 for a great globalized economic reset. World leaders and politicians and international bankers and corporate CEOs far and wide have latched on this idea of using tragedy for their own gain. And again, uh, with that conspiracy mindset, we're looking at some of the wealthiest and most powerful people on the planet and cobwebs and tendrils that stretch through some highly influential organizations and groups such as the Council on Foreign Relations, the United Nations, the Bill Gates Foundation, uh, Gates, of which is one of the wealthiest known men on the planet. So we can't help but ask, uh, are they merely utilizing the events of COVID-19 to bring about this great reset, uh, capitalizing off of the pandemic, or was in fact this whole scenario created by some of the wealthiest and most powerful and influential men and organizations on the planet in order to enact this great economic reset? And what trends can we actually see in real time with the Great Reset? What factual events transpired in the midst of closures and lockdowns and job losses, etc., etc.? Well, my friends, what we had was the estimated uh, permanent closure of some 50% of small businesses. What we saw was the funneling of wealth going from the lower and middle classes to the higher uh, upper classes of the elite of the elite uh, what we have is the fact that in 2020, the U.S.'s top billionaires are estimated to have come, become $1.2 trillion richer, while U.S. unemployment rates were at an all-time high. And again, this is not a conspiracy. Uh, you could find this information in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or Forbes. America's richest 1% became $1.2 trillion richer after COVID lockdowns and the mass closure of small businesses. And a lot of this just has to do with the purchasing market, uh, but a whole lot of this also has to do with a whole lot of extra pork and fat on the stimulus and relief bills that were set in motion under the Trump presidency. And I'm not trying to lay uh, blame on Trump necessarily here, uh, because the stimulus packages were nonpartisan in a lot of ways and agreed upon by both the Democrats and the Republicans. But what it amounted to was uh, massive tax breaks and incentives for America's largest employers and wealthiest individuals while sending the average Americans a $1,200 check that was supposed to last them for six months. So when we think of the idea of the Great Reset, this is actually what it amounts to. The breaking of the middle class, the dissolution of small businesses, while wealth funnels upwards to the wealthiest and most well-off corporate elites, CEOs, and elite billionaires. And a bit of a divergent path here, and I again apologize, these topics are going to have to jump around a little bit by necessity. But I find it extremely suspicious and questionable that the CARES Act, the first COVID-19 stimulus package, was signed into law by President Trump in March of 2020. Yet we can find that the bill itself, which was originally meant to provide money for the poorest and most needy Americans, and was actually presented in early 2019. Yes, my fellow Americans, that's correct. 
the CARES Act, or COVID relief bill, of $2.2 trillion was actually first presented under a different name a full year before it was signed into law, which also happens to be a full year before lockdowns and COVID had even come onto the scene. And before it was the CARES Act, in January of 2019, it was entitled H.R. 748, the Middle Class Health Benefits uh, Tax Repeal Act of 2019, and was amended over and over and over again by both the left and the right until it became the agreed-upon CARES Act of March 2020. Now, fact-checkers, uh, fact-checkers say this is uh, false and absolutely doesn't prove anything. And that H.R. 748 uh, was just used as a shell uh, accommodation for what ultimately became the CARES Act or COVID stimulus package of March 2020. Once again, the fact that so much of this language and this money was already presented in the bill before uh, we even had lockdowns in the United States, one can't help but to find that just a little suspicious. And once again, many would say that this is completely circumstantial and coincidental and put on your tinfoil hat, yada, yada, yada. But how much circumstantial, coincidental, and suspension of disbelief are people willing to put up with, uh, just so it doesn't intrude upon their comfortable view of normality and narrow-minded, marginalized version of reality? There's a whole lot of coincidences and patterns which have emerged, in which a large majority of Americans either don't know about it, don't care, or think it's all crazy conspiracy theories by right-wing extremists and Trump supporters. So anyway, back to my point. As we were talking about the economic great reset, uh, it's been in the bills uh, such as the CARES Act, among many other factors, which has made the wealthiest billionaires and corporations in America $1.2 trillion richer since COVID. And in my mind, that is exactly what the great reset of capitalism represents. It represents a socialistic manner of handouts in which Americans become more and more dependent upon uh, their businesses and livelihoods as their businesses and livelihoods close for good. And the middle class continues to erode while the wealthiest of the wealthy and the elite of the elite uh, from corporate to banking to political uh, reap all of the rewards. You only need to look at uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, how much money he made, how much money Amazon made in 2020 as he flies off into the sunset in his giant cock rocket. As world economic founder Klaus Schwab stated himself, the state should gain more control through these circumstances, as it always has in the past. Now, where should we go from here? I, uh, I suppose we can jump back a little bit to late 2019 and when the WHO uh, first gets involved in the fiasco out of Wuhan, China. The WHO, or the World Health Organization, said that while COVID was a virus of interest, it saw no reason to restrict travel or implement masks and uh, did not see COVID as becoming a threat or a pandemic. Yes, that's right. The goddamn World Health Organization, whose only job is to help advise world health officials, completely and utterly dropped the ball in relation to the seriousness of COVID. It's not hard to see how people like Trump listen to the WHO and uh, didn't see the threat of COVID as being anything to take too seriously. And of course, this ultimately led to Trump stopping all U.S. funding to the WHO and blaming them, as well as the China virus, for the pandemic that was to transpire. And speaking of U.S. funding to the WHO, here's a, a bit of an interesting note as we connect dots and put pieces together and ask valid and worthy questions about everything that has transpired over the past two years. 
whose list of top 20 donors for the two-year budget cycle of 2018 and 2019 reveals that the U.S. provided the agency with $893 million, which accounted for 20% of the WHO's budget, whereas the Bill Gates Foundation contributed $531 million, or 12% of the WHO's budget. Yes, that's right, a private donor. The Bill Gates Foundation donates almost as much to the World Health Organization as the entirety of the donations of the U.S. government. From a 2020 interview with Devix.com, Lawrence Gostin, who is the faculty director at Georgetown University and director of the WHO's Collaborating Center on National and Global Health Law, stated, quote, If a private foundation were to become WHO's largest donor, it would be transformational. Uh, When WHO was formed... As an intergovernmental organization, it would, quote, would have been unimaginable that a private foundation could have such influence, he continued. It would enable a single rich philanthropist to set the global health agenda, Gostin said, referring to Bill Gates, co-chair of the foundation. Gates cannot formally set whose agenda in the same way that uh, member states are able to. Uh, But if the billionaire behind the foundation called the WHO director general, he would likely be on the next plane to Seattle, he said. Uh, referencing the foundation's headquarters. Quote, the big concerns are that Gates Foundation isn't fully transparent and accountable, Gostin said. By wielding such influence, it could steer who priorities. Now, hmm, that's a bit curious to say the least. Now, the who are considered some of the world's leading health experts, uh, but they are not the only ones. Uh, We mentioned the John Hopkins University uh, who hosted Event 201 along with Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum in 2019, just six weeks before the outbreak of COVID-19 in Wuhan, China. John Hopkins is considered another expert voice in the field, uh, which is cited time and time again, along with the WHO and the CDC as setting the standards of things uh, such as uh, mask mandates and pretty much every avenue and angle of COVID-19 data and statistics which have been collected over the course of the past year and a half. And how much has Bill Gates uh, Foundation uh, donated to John Hopkins University? Now, it's hard to get an exact figure because the donations have been coming steadily over the past couple decades. Uh, but by my estimation and research, we're looking at at least $100 million in donations uh, to the John Hopkins University. So we have two of the leading expert organizations in the WHO and John Hopkins, uh, which controls nearly every piece of information regarding COVID uh, that has received nearly a billion dollars in donations from one person and one organization. And that is Bill Gates. And how much has Bill Gates donated to the CDC or Center for Disease Control? Uh, he's donated at least 50 million just to the Africa branch of the CDC in the past few years. Uh, so it's hard to say how many tens of millions more he's donated to the wider scope of the CDC. And we can say, and some people do say, oh, Bill Gates, what a humanitarian. What a great guy. He really cares about public health and safety. Folks, this is the same dude whose wife just divorced him because of his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, but all of that aside, what Bill Gates has become, uh, he's become obsessed in recent years with vaccines and distributing vaccines for all manner of things as far and wide as possible. I honestly don't think there's another person on the planet who would we, we would immediately associate with the idea of vaccines more than Bill Gates. And strangely, Bill Gates stepped down from the board of Microsoft on March 15th of 2020, which was just two days before lockdowns began in the United States and around the world. Gates was also one of the first people to start talking about needing a vaccine for COVID before lockdowns had even started. 
and was the first to publicly state that at least 80% of the population would have to be vaccinated in order for us to return to normal. And to put that in statistical terms, Gates stated that over 6 billion people needed to be vaccinated before things could return to normal. 6 billion people against a total population of 8 billion people. And then in another interview, as he jokes and laughs and smiles dementedly about the lagging rate of vaccinations, he stated that perhaps with the next wave of COVID, people would start taking it more seriously and go get vaccinated. But folks, here's a guy at the very earliest outset of COVID in 2020 was already talking about the need for vaccinations and that at least 6, million, uh, 6 billion people needed to be vaccinated before we could return to normal. Now, consider that when we now, uh, after nearly two damn years, we've only had a supposed positive infection rate of 225 million on the planet so far. Now, that's not deaths. That's just those who have tested positive. We've had supposedly around 4.5 million deaths globally so far. And I say supposedly because I'm just extremely suspicious about many of these stats and figures, uh, which we'll dig into much deeper before today's episode is through. But people like Bill Gates, as well as Dr. Fauci, who, yep, you guessed it, is very tight with Bill Gates, and more importantly, the money and power and influence of Bill Gates, have stated time and time again that until some 6 billion people get vaccinated, we can't return to normal. And that's despite the fact that in almost two damn years, we've only had 225 million positive cases and 4.5 million deaths. And look, I'm not uh, trying to make light of 225 million positive cases and 4.5 million global deaths. But to put it in perspective, uh, so many people want to compare this to the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918. But how does COVID-19 actually stack up to the Spanish flu? Now, long story short, it does not compare to Spanish flu. For a variety of reasons. The first of which, Spanish flu was said to have infected 500 million uh, people with 50 million deaths. Uh, so COVID would have to infect over twice as many people and kill over 10 times as many people to be on the level of Spanish flu. And not just that, but the total population on the planet at the time, uh, 1918, was a mere 1.8 billion compared to the nearly 8 billion people today. So when you look at it from that perspective, against total population numbers from 1918 compared to 2020, COVID would have to infect uh, about 2 billion people and kill at least 200 million to adjust for the differences of population levels. But in any case, let's not forget that out of those 225 million positive cases of COVID so far, uh, about 220 million have fully recovered. And that's not something the media wants to focus on. They don't want to focus on the positive side of things, but just the fear-mongering side and what they think gets the most ratings and pushes whatever agenda they are trying to sell. And we look at 225 million cases of COVID and to some that is shocking and tragic and unbelievable. But according to the WHO, there are nearly a billion cases of just your average run-of-the-mill flu every year and about 5 million cases that are considered severe. But I'm getting ahead of myself here because that's, uh, I want to tackle this topic of statistics a little bit later in today's program. Uh, but I guess it's worth repeating again that we have 225 million positive cases of COVID-19 in a two-year period almost and 4.5 million deaths. Uh, yet according to the WHO's own data, there are roughly 1 billion flu infections every year and about 5 million that are considered severe, and along with that, anywhere from 300,000 to a million deaths annually from the flu. 
And one important thing, and that is the fact, uh, it's a very important thing to keep in mind with all that. Uh, the seasonal flu is seasonal. It doesn't last for two years at a time, such as COVID has. So when we look at the stats of a seasonal flu, it typically takes place from November to April, about a six-month period. So we're thinking about a billion people getting the flu and 5 million severe cases and 300,000 to 1 million deaths. We are looking at a much smaller six-month window compared to the nearly two years that COVID has had to rack up its numbers and stats. But I digress. What the hell was I talking about anyway? Ah, yes, it was the Bill Gates Foundation and the possible manipulation and ethical integrity of organizations such as the World Health Organization, John Hopkins University, and the CDC. Please allow me to read a short article for you, or at least some excerpts from an article uh, from which comes from www.nationofchange.org. And this information can be found at various other places, other sources, and other forms, as well as more information and details on this coming from reputable sources such as doctors, former CDC workers, etc. But this particular article is in regards to questions of ethics and accountability at the CDC and how donations and big pharma can influence their findings. The article is entitled, CDC Scientists Expose Agency Corruption, and this is from 2016. Given this long history of deeply entrenched scientific chicanery at the CDC, it's no surprise that scientists are now complaining. More than a dozen senior uh, Center for Disease Control scientists are now charging the agency with nursing an atmosphere of pervasive research fraud. The group, which claimed to represent scientists across the CDC's diverse branches, calls itself SPIDER, Scientists Preserving Integrity, Diligence, and Ethics in Research. The letter to CDC Chief of Staff Carmen Viller expressed alarm about the current state of ethics at our agency. The scientists complained that our mission is being influenced and shaped by outside parties and rogue interests and circumvented by some of our leaders. The scientists state that questionable and unethical practices occurring at all levels and in all of our research uh, respective units threaten to undermine our credibility and reputation as a trusted leader in public health. The letter charged that staff-level scientists are intimidated and pressed to do things that they know are not right, and that senior management officials at CDC are clearly aware and even condone these behaviors. The scientists cited several recent scandals involving scientific corruption at the CDC. They describe a cover-up by officials of mismanagement in CDC's Wise Woman Program, uh, Wise Woman Program, which provides screening in low-income neighborhoods for heart disease, diabetes, and other chronic health disorders. According to the letter, CDC officials purposefully misrepresented screening numbers and documents they sent to Congress to conceal failures in the multi-million-dollar project. Definitions were changed and data cooked to make the result look better than they were. The scientists accused high-level CDC bosses of suppressing the results of an internal review involving staff across the CDC so that media and or congressional staff would not become aware of the problems. As part of the system, uh, systematic cover-up, uh, CDC then engaged in a coordinated effort to bury these deceptions. CDC staff has gone out of its way to delay and obstruct any inquiry.
The scientists also complain about the troubling adventures of Dr. Barbara Bowman, uh, director of CDC's Division for Heart Disease and Stroke Prevention, and Dr. Michael Pratt, senior advisor for global health at the NCCDPHP. Bowman recently left the CDC following shocking media disclosures that the pair had manipulated scientific studies on soft drink safety in collusion with Coca-Cola. The CDC flim-flam was part of Coke's campaign to pressure the World Health Organization to relax guidelines uh, to relax guidelines for sugar consumption by children in developing nations where the soda industry is aggressively expanding its markets. The scientists complain that the climate of disregard at CDC puts many agency scientists in difficult positions. Uh, quote, we are often uh, directed to do things we know are not right. Uh, the public record supports Spider's allegations that scientists who insist on research integrity suffer persecution by CDC supervisors. In a 2010 scandal that predated the Flint, Michigan tragedy, Congress found that the CDC had deliberately manipulated scientific documents and purpose- purposefully made inaccurate claims about the safety of Washington, D.C. drinking water in order to mislead D.C. residents into believing that their water was safe. The Congressional Committee found that the CDC's deceit had caused thousands of D.C. residents to drink water highly contaminated with lead for years to the detriment of their health. Uh, As with the uh, Coca-Cola and Wise Woman program scandals, the immediate victims of CDC scientific fraud and mismanagement were disproportionately poor and minority people. In August of 2014, CDC Director, uh, CDC Senior Vaccine Safety Scientist, Dr. William Thompson invoked federal whistleblower status and testified to Congressman William Posey that his CDC supervisor had ordered him to destroy data and manipulate studies to conceal injuries to black children from certain vaccines. According to Thompson's testimony, the Congressman Posey, data analyzed by Thompson and a team of scientists for a key study, showed that black boys who received the MMR vaccines on schedule... Uh, had a 250% increase in autism diagnosis. The data also pointed the vaccine as a culprit in the epidemic of regressive autism in both white and black children. A high-level CDC official, Dr. Frank uh, DeStefano, ordered Thompson and his fellow scientists to destroy that data in a large garbage can and omit the damning findings from uh, the published study. Uh, the study, where are we at? The study had been uh, cited more than 110 times and published studies on PubMed and forms the cornerstone of the CDC's orthodoxy that vaccines don't cause autism. Uh, One of the key figures in the cover-up described by Dr. Thompson is the director of the National Center of Birth Defects and Developmental Disabilities, Dr. Colleen Boyle. Boyle's uh, seminal career coup at the CDC was orchestrating the cover-up of Ancient Orange, and dioxin toxicity in the 1970s. Boyle's handiwork deprived thousands of Vietnam veterans of health benefits until her fraud was uncovered and exposed in comprehensive investigations by Congress and the Institute of Medicine. Uh, Instead of punishing Boyle for corruption and scientific fraud, the CDC rewarded her with a powerful directorship. From that platform, Boyle has managed the CDC's cover-up of the vaccine autism connection. Uh, The recent spider letter highlights, this is from 2016 still, the recent spider letter highlights the culture of deep-rooted scientific corruption uh, that has ran across the CDC and become the subject of a decades-long parade of investigations. 
on August 23, 2000, following a three-year investigation. A House, uh, House Government Reform Committee staff report criticized the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and the CDC for routinely allowing scientists with conflicts of interest to serve on two influential advisory committees that make recommendations on vaccine policy. The report concluded that the majority of members of both committees have financial ties to vaccine manufacturers or hold patents on vaccines under development. Three years later, a 2003 investigation by UPI's Mark Benjamin found that CDC had ignored Congress's recommendations for reform, which stated members of the CDC's Vaccine Advisory Committee get money from vaccine manufacturers. Relationships have included sharing a vaccine patent, owning stock in a vaccine company, uh, payments for research, getting money to monitor, manufacture uh, a vaccine tests, and funding academic departments. A year later, in May of 2004, Special Counsel Scott Block of the U.S. Office of Special Counsel sent a letter to Congress urging congressional action on evidence of scientific fraud in the CDC's vaccine division. Block described possible collusion between CDC officials and pharmaceutical companies to manipulate and destroy data in order to conceal the links between mercury-preserved vaccines and the exploding incident incidents of pediatric neurological disorders, including autism. A month later, June 18, 2004, Congressman Dave Weldon, M.D., took the House floor to accuse the CDC of failing to reform. Quote, a public relations campaign rather than sound science seems to be the modus operandi of officials at the CDC's National Immunization Program. Congressman Weldon concluded that the CDC is too conflicted to oversee this vaccine. Uh, safety function. In January of 2006, amidst the corruption scandals, the prestigious journal Nature uh, editorialized in reference to vaccine safety that, quote, there is a strong case for a well-resourced independent agency uh, that commands the trust of both the government and the public. A year later, in 2007, Weldon and Democratic Congresswoman uh, Carolyn Maloney introduced the Vaccine Safety and Public Confidence Assurance Act of 2007, a bill uh, to create a new agency to supervise vaccine safety that reported directly to the Secretary of U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and to mandate independent vaccine safety research. Weldon declared that despite all of the scandals investigations, uh, there were no signs of reform at the CDC. Quote, federal agencies charged with overseeing vaccine safety research have failed, he said. Uh, they have failed uh, to adequately, f- adequately fund uh, extramural research, and they have failed to free themselves from conflicts of interest that serve to undermine public confidence in the safety of vaccines. In June of that same year, U.S. Senator Tom Coburn of the Senate Subcommittee on Federal Financial Management published uh, CDC uh, Off Center, yet another lengthy expose of corruption and mismanagement at the CDC. The reports detailed how an agency tasked with fighting disease has spent hundreds of millions of tax dollars for failed prevention efforts, international junkets, and lavish facilities, but cannot demonstrate it is controlling any diseases. In December of 2009, the HHS Inspector General published the results of a lengthy investigation of corruption in the CDC's vaccine division. That shocking report painted the CDC as a hopelessly corrupted arm of the pharmaceutical industry. It described in detail mismanagement, dysfunction, and the alarming conflicts of interest that suborn uh, the CDC's research, regulatory, and policymaking functions. 
The report discloses how CDC's uh, the CDC allows vaccine industry profiteers to make millions of dollars by serving on advisory boards that add new vaccines to the schedule. And typical in a typical example, Dr. Paul Offit in 1999 sat on the CDC's vaccine advisory committee and voted to add the uh, rotavirus vaccine to the CDC's schedule, uh, paving the way for him to make a fortune on his own rotavirus vaccine patent. Offit and his business partners sold the royalties to his rotavirus vaccine patent to Merrick in 2006 for $182 million. Offit told Newsweek, it was like winning the lottery. HSH investigation revealed that 97% of the CDC scientific committee members failed to complete the mandatory uh, conflict of interest disclosures and that as many as 64% of committee members disclosed conflicts, conflicts of interest that were not acted upon by the CDC. In 2014, the chief of the HHS Office of Research Integrity, Dr. Wright, uh, announced his resignation in a scathing letter that characterized HHS as a remarkably dysfunctional agency. ORI's function is to monitor research misconduct, including falsification and fabrication of science at the CDC, the FDA, and other public health agencies, calling the post uh, the very worst job I've ever had. Wright decried a, quote, intensely political environment where his supervisors told him that his job was to be a team player and to make the bosses look good and where he spent exorbitant amounts of time in meetings and in generating repetitive and often meaningless data and reports to make our precinct of the bureaucracy look productive rather than pursuing its mission of detecting and punishing scientific fraud. Now, given this long history of deeply entrenched scientific chicanery at the CDC, it's no surprise that many scientists uh, are now complaining and that the public has a great distrust of groups, organizations such as the CDC and the FDA and the WHO and John Hopkins Research University. Uh, I don't. Th- this is the tip of the iceberg that I just mentioned. And this was 15 minutes of me rambling on about all these cases, and you can find dozens and dozens more. So we just have to ask ourselves the question, conflict of interest. Okay, and once again, I'm not going to take this into conspiratorial realms, but everything just stated in the article that I read uh, can be double-checked and fact-checked as you see fit. Uh, if you're skeptical, I highly encourage you to uh, look into this further. And this goes right in, long, uh, right in line with another piece which questions the ethics and motivations of groups such as the CDC and the WHO and John Hopkins University who receive huge corporate or pharmaceutical donations and how trustworthy these agencies really are. Uh... Okay, and once again, I'm not going to take this into conspiratorial realms. But everything just stated uh, can be double-checked, fact-checked as you see fit. If you're skeptical of that information, I highly encourage you to go research it further on your own. And this goes right in line with other pieces, which questions the ethics and motivations of groups such as the CDC and WHO and John Hopkins University, who receive huge corporate or pharmaceutical donations, and how trustworthy these agencies really are uh, when tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars and grants are at stake. And we're circling this back around to Bill Gates, who has given over a billion dollars to the WHO, uh, the CDC, and John Hopkins, who all pretty much control the data and information related to COVID-19. 
and are all, along with Gates, spearheading the push for vaccinations. And I also want to state that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily anti-vax. I don't take a particular stance on whether or not uh, people want to get vaccinated. I'm not screaming from the rooftops against vaccination, uh, though I myself have not had a flu shot since I was about 10 years old, and that was 30 years ago. But I'm not anti-vax. I'm not afraid of needles. Uh, I don't think it's going to, you know, inject me with a microchip or uh, kill me. Uh, And I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist about that topic. Uh, But all this also goes right along uh, with another piece of information, which isn't secret and it's not a conspiracy. And can be found, in fact, at the U.S. Justice Department's own website. And that is in regards to Pfizer, who is the number one manufacturer of vaccines, doses one and two, and booster shots, etc., etc. And that comes with Justice Department announces largest health care fraud settlement in history. Pfizer to pay $2.3 billion for fraudulent marketing. In 2009, uh, Pfizer was found guilty of the largest fraudulent marketing campaign in healthcare fraud in U.S. history with a payout of $2.3 billion. And this isn't the only time Pfizer's had to pay out settlements of fraud and unethical practices, as in 2016, uh, nearly another $800 million more was awarded in lawsuits. So again, not to be conspiratorial, uh, but Pfizer, who is showing record profits right now, by the way, and who is the largest contributor to the COVID vaccine, is also known as the largest uh, criminal in U.S. history, with over $2.3 billion in payouts due to shady practices and falsifying information. But hey, what's, uh, what's $3 billion to a company like Pfizer? Uh, when they've made about $35 billion, they're estimated to make about $40 billion uh, just this year alone, and just off of the COVID vaccine. Let's put that into account. Last year, uh, their total profits was about $57 billion. This year, they're set to make almost $40 billion just from COVID. Pfizer is slated to make about as much this year off the COVID shots as they made the entirety of last year off of all of their other combined drugs and medications. And as I stated, Pfizer and every pharmaceutical company specializing in vaccines and test kits right now uh, are making record-breaking profits. So, hey, why stop at two doses and a booster shot in a year? Why not make it two doses and a booster shot every year for the next 20 years? And while we're opening this can of worms... Big Pharma and groups like Pfizer also all share something else in common. They are consistently and routinely and annually the largest political lobbyists and media advertisers in the world. Reports indicate that between the year 2000 and 2018, uh, Big Pharma spent over $6 billion in political lobbying, or about $330 million per year. Uh, Oliver Waters, a research from the uh, researcher from the London School of Economics, uh, recently published research analyzing the lobby- lobbying expenditures and election contributions of pharmaceutical and health product industries. His results, published in JAMA Internal Medicine, revealed that the uh, pharmaceutical and health product industries spent a total of $4.7 billion on lobbying the federal government, $877 million on state candidates and committees, and $414 million on presidential and congressional electoral campaigns, national party committees, and outside spending groups between 2000 and 2018. 
Another report from last year stated that in the first three months of 2020, uh, just as COVID uh, was emerging in the U.S., uh, the group uh, Patients Over Pharma released a new analysis of lobbying disclosures that showed that major pharmaceutical companies and their trade groups spent at least $48 million on lobbying in the first three months of 2020. In 2020 alone, and just through TV ads, pharmaceutical corporations spent nearly $5 billion on advertisements, not including magazine, newspaper, radio, and internet ads. It's estimated the pharmaceutical industry spends nearly $30 billion a year in marketing campaigns and advertisements. Another report states that of the nearly $30 billion that health companies now spend on medical marketing each year, around 68% or $20 billion goes to persuading doctors and other medical professionals, not consumers, of the benefits of prescription drugs. Now, all of this that I just mentioned, the political lobbying, the media advertisements, and the persuasion of doctors and medical professionals, uh, the spending is estimated to have increased every year. And it's quadrupled over the past 20 years, making the uh, pharmaceutical industry the largest political lobbyist and largest media advertisers, particularly in the United States and Canada. And while we're on this train of thought, please allow me to relay some of the other details and facts and stats. $1.5 trillion. In 2016, that was the total revenue of the global pharmaceutical market. And to put that number into perspective, it's roughly one quarter of what the U.S. federal government spent in 2016. The pharmaceutical industry is a juggernaut of money and influence. $515 billion of the uh, $1.5 trillion, excuse me, of the $1.5 trillion in revenue for the global pharmaceutical market annually, nearly half of it, roughly $515 billion, comes from the U.S. In Canada. However, the two countries only make up about 7% of total world population. So needless to say, the United States in particular is heavily dominated by the pharmaceutical market and is the most heavily medicated nation in the world. It's estimated that nearly 40 million Americans are currently taking antidepressants, or almost 15% of the total population over the age of 18. And I'm talking antidepressants there, uh, not the hundreds of myriad other drugs and pills and patches and shots uh, that are available on the market. In the United States, despite only holding 5% of total global population, accounts for nearly half of all the revenue generated by the pharmaceutical industry. We are a nation of medicated zombies. 59 billion members of the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America invested a combined 58 billion. billion in research and development during 2015. And according to other reports, it's actually much less than 59 billion of research and development and more in line with about 30 billion on research and development. Whatever the case, while they might be investing 59 billion annually in research and development, uh, they are then spending another 350 million a year on political lobbying and 30 billion on advertising and then turn a $1.5 trillion annual profit. And keep in mind, this information is from 2015 and 2016. So all of this is likely even more right now in 2021, particularly in the age of COVID. Big pharma is big business. Uh, We're talking over a trillion dollar a year industry. So it's no wonder that Pfizer's current CEO makes $18 million a year. And in terms of lobbying, this is uh, also worth mentioning. And it's from drugdiscoverytrends.com. Uh, but from October of 2020, uh, with the headline, Guess Who Big Pharma is Supporting for President? 
and it reads, uh, the pharmaceutical industry has put its weights behind Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, reversing a long-standing fundraising trend that has favored the GOP. Republican candidates have received 64, 64% of pharma industry contributions since 1990, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, Open Secrets, but the industry is shifting its support to Democrats in 2020. So far, donors with links to drug companies have donated $2.5 million to the Biden campaign, uh, significantly more than the uh, $650,000 uh, $650, uh, given to Trump's uh, re-election campaign. So the pharmaceutical industry gave $2.5 million uh, to the Biden campaign uh, for the last election and only $650,000 uh, to the Trump campaign. But you'll notice that they're playing, they're playing both sides of the board there. And the reason that it states uh, the fact that Big Pharma was supporting Biden this time around is that they believe Biden was less likely to lower the price of prescription drugs. And they wanted to have some leverage over the new president in office. And that's exactly uh, what lobbying is, leverage. And this comes despite the fact that uh, it was Trump himself who was behind the federal funding of Operation Warp Speed, which gave a lot of taxpayer monies to Big Pharma in order to quickly develop, and some believe was rushed, uh, rushed development of vaccines in order to fill a particular deadline, uh, which was basically uh, right around re-election. Uh, Trump kept boasting about how the miracle vaccine would be released before the elections. And, of course, the left rallied against these rush vaccines, calling them the Trump vaccine. And Kamala Harris herself went so far as to say during a debate with Vice President Mike Pence that she would not be getting Trump's vaccine when it was released. It's the same exact vaccine that Pfizer released under Operation Warp Speed that the left is now trying to shame and guilt and even force people to get. Uh, once again, showing how utterly untrustworthy and two-faced and hypocritical politicians are and uh, how stupid they think the American public is, which, unfortunately, a great deal of the American public is kind of stupid. In line with all of this, here's a short excerpt uh, from ProPublica.org, uh, which has been tracking the medical industry and payouts to doctors from pharmaceutical companies since 2010. Uh, the article is... Uh, we have found over 700 doctors who were paid more than a million dollars by drug companies. And this article is from 2019. Back in two th uh, 2013, ProPublica Pro detailed what seemed a stunning development in the pharmaceutical industry's drive to win the pre prescription pads of the nation's doctors. In just four years, one doctor had earned one million giving promotional talks and consulting for drug companies. 21 others had made more than 500,000. Six years later, despite often damning scrutiny from prosecutors and academics, uh, such high earnings have become commonplace. More than 2,500 physicians have received at least half a million dollars apiece from drug makers and medical device companies in the past five years alone, a new ProPublica analysis of payment data shows. More than 700 of those doctors received at least one million dollars. Holy smokes, said Dr. Walid Galad, uh, an associate professor of medicine and health policy at the University of Pittsburgh, where he leads the Center for Pharmaceutical Policy and Prescribing. He says, it's quite striking how much money doctors were earning from other activities aside from patient care, he said. To identify the latest pharma millionaires and other spending trends, ProPublica analyzed more than 56 million payments made uh, 56 million payments made from 2014 to 2018. 
the first uh, five full years of the Federal Open Payments Initiative, which requires companies to publicly disclose the payments as part of the 2010 Affordable Care Act. Some academics and physicians predicted that the exposure might cause companies to rethink uh, making payments and doctors to rethink taking them. A flurry of studies matched the payment data with doctors prescribing choices and found links between the payments and the products that doctors were choosing. But ProPublica's new analysis uh, shows that the public reporting has not dampened enthusiasm of the drug and medical device industry for having doctors deliver paid dinner talks and sponsored speeches or paying them to consult on products. In fact, there's been no change in how much the industry is spending. Each year from 2014 to 2018, drug and medical device companies spent, spent between $2.1 billion and $2.2 billion paying doctors for speaking and consulting, as well as on meals, travel, and gifts for them. Roughly the same number of doctors, more than 600,000, received payments in any given year. Let me repeat that. United States, roughly the same number of doctors, more than 600,000, received payments from the pharmaceutical industry any given year to promote their products. Uh, that consistency, some academics say, is conspicuous. Over the course of five years, one million doctors, dentists, optometrists, chiropractors, and podiatrists receive at least one payment, most often a meal, from a company. Of those practitioners, more than uh, 323,000 receive at least one payment every year. About 240,000 receive payment in only one year, and the re rest receive payments in more than one year, but in fewer than five. For context, there are about uh, 1.1 million doctors in the United States, and you can research this information more at propublic.org. Uh, we have this basically what this is saying is that half of the doctors in the United States are receiving gifts and payments to promote drugs that the pharmaceutical company wants to push on the public. And some people would say that that's no big deal. It doesn't raise ethical questions or questions of integrity. But what I wanted to do was give you all something to think about. We have doctors and medical experts presenting a certain angle or the media presenting a certain angle or politicians presenting a certain angle. And we have, and in this case, in particular in 2021, is that all these things are tied to the pharmaceutical industry and record-breaking profits or people like Bill Gates. And I've said before, I don't think Bill Gates is a mastermind or behind all of this. I think there are a lot of things working in conjunction. But at the end of the day, when the media keeps pushing something down your throat 24-7 for uh, almost two years at a time, or the politicians keep pushing things down your throat, or the so-called health experts keep pushing things down your throat, and in this case, it's all the same uh, th three, three things, uh, and that is vaccines. I can't help but ask, who is the biggest sponsor and financer? And in this instance, and make it of it what you will, but the pharmaceutical industry is the largest political lobbyist, the largest media advertiser, and likewise is a huge proponent in what could ultimately be considered bribes of doctors or hospitals or public health uh, experts, all while Big, big Pharma or the Pharmafia cartel, is showing record-breaking profits. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be a guy like Bill Gates, uh, you know, with a net worth of over $150 billion to play with, and what kind of influence a person like that could have on public perspective through bribes and other means of manipulation. And once more, I'm not stating that this is necessarily what's actually happening, but hopefully I'm providing a little food for thought in regards to who you can really trust and particularly when we're throwing around billions of dollars. 
And certainly we must consider the great possibility of there being conflicts of interest when we're talking about billions of dollars being thrown around and given to doctors, medical professionals, hospitals, and medical organizations. And you don't have to look very far into the WHO and the CDC or pharmaceutical giants like Pfizer to find ethical violations and concerns of moral values and integrity. And the fact that, if nothing else, this is all being used uh, for the so-called Great Reset of global economy. It's not a conspiracy theory. That's a proven fact. People might ask, what do they have to gain? Who stands to gain from this? Why would they lie? Why would they manipulate stats and data? The answer is quite simply the 1% most wealthy elite of the world and the 1% most wealthy corporate entities and international banking conglomerates. That's who has to stand from all of this, as well as all of their media and political cronies on down the line. There is a long line of people who have stood to gain off of the COVID situation over the past 20 months. And never, or at least very rarely, the doctors or so-called health experts push exercise or clean air or proper diets, or vitamins, nor natural immunity. In fact, doctors and researchers who talk about all of those things and talk about vitamins and natural immunity uh, and ha- having healthy immune systems, they get shut down and censored over the past year. And half of them is labeled as dangerous conspiracy theorists. No, or, you know, uh, being uh, against public health uh, for talking about proper diet, exercise, and national immunity boosters. Let me say one last thing here in regards to all this, in regards to uh, all the people who want to keep regurgitating the term, follow the science. I trust the science. I trust the medical experts. Follow the science. You know, the third leading cause of death in the United States has consistently been for the past 10 years. Any guesses? It's medical error and misdiagnosis and medical malpractice. An estimated 250,000 people die every single year in the United States due to medical error, misdiagnosis, and malpractice. And that is more than one-third of those who have uh, stated to die from COVID in the past 20 months. And these 250,000 deaths due to medical error or misdiagnosis are annual occurrences and has, in fact, been the third leading cause of death in the United States. So folks, I'm not saying don't trust your doctor or that science is wrong or is a lie. But just in the United States alone, medical error accounts for 250,000 deaths a year. And we shouldn't accept or allow ourselves to believe everything that comes out of a doctor or medical expert's mouth just because we trust them without question as being more educated than we are. We should question everything and always get a second opinion. Do our own research and realize that science has a long history of skepticism being necessary For science to actually evolve and improve and become better and more efficient and beneficial. Science needs opposition and should not just be blindly accepted because they are declared experts. 250,000 people die every year at the hands uh, of medical uh, error and due to mistakes by these same experts. And speaking of conflicts of interest and manipulation, let's take a look at one of Bill Gates' favorite and most recommended books. And that is with the 1954 publication of How to Lie with Statistics by Darnell Huff. And the book is a brief, breezy, illustrated volume outlining the misuse of statistics and errors in the interpretation of statistics and how these errors may create incorrect conclusions. It's basically a how-to book. 
and how to look out for all the ways in which one can use statistics and graphs and charts in order to omit key information or present charts of various sizes that don't actually represent the amounts and numbers in which they claim to be presenting. It's not so much about how to outright lie, but how to present information and statistics in such a way as to manipulate the viewers towards whatever result you want them to see. And there's been nothing more so than the hazy and confused and contradicting world of 2020 and 21 to represent such a case as the book How to Lie with Statistics. And please allow me to use a couple examples of this as we are inundated right now uh, with COVID, 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 and it makes up about six out of every 10 articles in any given news feed. And it's all bad news uh, meant to manipulate emotions and push people to primarily uh, get vaccinated. And okay, that's the slant they want to keep taking, and they're going to keep running with it. Bad news seems to sell better than good news. And that goes along with media ratings as well. People are more likely to click on a shocking or tragic or bad news article. And I don't know why that is, but it's true. Uh, But a couple of recent pieces I can use here in terms of how to lie with statistics. One is, a new report states, unvaccinated people are 11 times more likely to die from COVID. Okay, that's shocking, and it's scary, and it's tragic. But what they don't say is that about 80% of those who get COVID have mild to no symptoms, uh, with many not even aware that they're infected until they get tested. You actually have to tell them they're sick. They don't even know it. Uh, Hence this whole asymptomatic debacle, which has been going on for the past two years now almost. And of those who do test positive, only a little over 1% of those people will end up dying from COVID. So, okay, yes, unvaccinated people are 11 times more likely to die if the experts say so, but what they don't include is that the death rate of COVID is still right around 1% if you get it. You can see a chart that says 225 million cases of COVID now reported worldwide uh, with many exclamation points to hit home this statistic. What they fail to mention is that of that 225 million, 220 million have fully recovered. And 80% of them uh, needed to get tested to be told they were sick or they wouldn't even have known they had it. These are a few examples of how to lie with statistics. You are overstating the information that best promotes the narrative you are trying to push. And in this case, it's unvaccinated people are terrible and probably going to die and definitely need a vaccine and maybe even three doses and maybe even every year for the rest of their lives. Another recent report uh, makes the startling claim uh, COVID hospitalizations for 30 to 39-year-olds are are at a record rate uh, with, of course, uh, the urge for 30 to 39-year-olds to get vaccinated. Uh, The record rate, you might ask, it went up from two people per 100,000 in January of 2021 to a record-breaking 2.5 people per 100,000 in August of 2021. Wowie! That's some record-breaking stuff right there. Let's look at a couple more instances of this lying with statistics. At least uh, this is how I interpret how they are lying with statistics. Another recent article from the New York Times with the headline, U.S. surpasses 40 million COVID cases uh, with the shocking image of a woman being taken out of her house on a gurney by paramedics. Okay, scary. But here's the thing. This is after 20 months in the U.S. and represents only 12% of total population in the U.S. And not only that, if you look at the past five years, and that is the past five flu seasons, uh, which we've already stated typically is gauged from uh, November to April uh, six-month window, we'll see that in 2017 and 2018 flu seasons, uh, there were 45 million cases of flu. While in 2019 and 2020, we also had around 40 million cases of flu. 
So no, I'm not saying that COVID is the flu. I'm not making that debate and argument uh, that so many deniers have made. But what I'm saying is that in any given year, uh, which for the flu season is only considered a six-month period, we have about 40 million cases of the flu annually. Yet it has taken a 20-month period for COVID to reach 40 million supposed positive confirmations. So what's seen in that light, COVID actually looks less infectious than your typical flu. And let's take this a step further. A Forbes article from a week or two ago stated that 100,000 Americans are currently hospitalized for COVID, while again making the claim that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Yet, and again, this is according to the CDC's own data, the 2017 and 18 flu season is stated to have had about 21 million medical visits and 810,000 hospitalizations in the U.S., while the 19 and 20 flu season uh, had about 700,000 hospitalizations. So, folks, we are looking at about 700 to 800,000 flu-related hospitalizations a year. And by a year, I mean a six-month period between November and April. So, again, how and why is 100,000 current hospitalizations for COVID so shocking and scary and unbelievable? And just how are hospitals so overwhelmed when the case levels of hospital visits are nearly identical to how many hospitalizations there are for the flu in any given year? How about these startling headlines from 2018, from the LA Times 2018, California hospitals face a war zone of flu patients, from CBS News uh, 2018, overwhelmed by flu cases, some hospitals are turning ambulances away, or this from Time Magazine from 2018, hospitals overwhelmed with flu patients are treating them in tents, uh, with the opening paragraph of... The 2017-18 influenza epidemic is sending people to hospitals and urgent care centers in every state, and medical centers are responding with extraordinary measures, measures asking SCAS staff to work overtime, setting up triage tents, restricting friends and family visits, and canceling elective surgeries, to name a few. Quote, we are pretty much at capacity, and the volume is certainly different from previous flu seasons, says Dr. Alfred Talia, professor and chair of family medicine at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical Center in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I've been in the practice for 30 years, and it's been a good 15 to 20 years since I've seen a flu-related illness scenario like we've had this year. Or how about this from ABC News from 2015, with the headline of Flu Closes Schools and Overwhelms Hospitals Nationwide. Or this article from the Dayton Daily News from 2014, Local hospitals at full capacity acting, asking flu patients to stay away. And honestly, this goes on and on almost every year for the past five or six years. There are always reports of overwhelmed hospitals and overcrowded hospitals and treating people in tents, being at capacity, and the quote of, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And despite all the reports of hospitals being overwhelmed and understaffed and at capacity here in 2021, uh, they're still suspending or firing thousands of nurses and frontline health care workers who, who are refusing to get vaccinated. That's right. There are thousands of nurses and health care workers and professionals who are being suspended or fired across the country for refusing to get vaccinated, uh, despite the fact there's a supposed shortage of health care workers at hospitals across the country. And say, remember last year when we were so worried about hospitals being overwhelmed, yet healthcare facilities across the country were laying off nurses and physicians left and right because there was a lack of patients? What we got last year was dozens of TikTok videos of nurses uh, doing new, newly uh, learned dance moves uh, in empty hospitals. 
but I digress. The point here is that hospitals are overwhelmed and lack staff, yet are suspending workers by the thousands who won't get vaccinated. And I don't have the exact number of those healthcare workers who have been fired or put on leave, uh, but here in my home state of Indiana, uh, Indianapolis IU Health has laid off 300 workers. Uh, so I can only imagine that we are dealing with thousands and thousands of suspensions across the United States, not to mention the rest of the world. And not just nurses and healthcare workers are quitting, uh, being suspended by the thousands for refusing vaccination, but thousands of teachers and educators as well. Uh, but what about the deaths, you might ask? What about COVID death rates? Uh, surely that's why things are so ominous and scary and startling and shocking right now. So, okay, we're supposedly looking at 650,000 deaths in the U.S., and I always take that at face value, even though I highly, highly, highly question the numbers being that high, that COVID alone killed 650,000 Americans. But anyway, we're looking at a number of 650,000 in what is now a 20-month period, as the first cases of COVID started popping up in January of 2020. And my own doctor uh, told me during a checkup late last year, uh, while trying to get me to take the flu shot, incessantly trying to get me to take a flu shot, I might mention, uh, she said that 80,000 Americans died of the flu the previous season, which again consists of a six-month period. So let's take that six-month period, 80,000 deaths times three, which is 20 months, and how long COVID has been around, that would equate to 240,000 flu deaths if it were to, like COVID, keep going year-round. So we are, if we take this all at face value, and based on the CDC's own data, looking at something which actually looks less infectious than the flu, yet kills around three times more people than the flu. Okay, now, I would say this is absolute fact, and it's not debatable, but of course, everything is debatable. But to me, this is a fact based on actual information and statistics uh, that they are presenting. Of course, this isn't how they are presenting their statistics in the media, because that doesn't fit the narrative and agenda they're pushing. But according to the actual stats, COVID is less infectious than the flu in terms of positive cases that we can say are positive cases that are on record as positive cases, yet it's three times deadlier than uh, last year's flu season. My friends, uh, how many reports did we hear last year and how much information was released which stated the following things? Things like 80% of COVID deaths are over the age of 65 and have two or more pre-existing conditions. Or in terms of positive cases themselves, we had the CDC saying, uh, CDC saying in the middle of everything late last year uh, that the, the tests could be up to 50% inaccurate and creating false positives because it was showing signs of any form of coronavirus and not just COVID specifically. We have family members saying that grandma was 85 and had emphysema and a pacemaker, but the autopsy report had COVID listed as the cause of death. We had reports that hospitals were getting more federal funding the more cases of COVID they reported or every time they had to use a ventilator. Uh, we had nurses uh, coming forward in videos, uh, personal accounts with tears in their eyes at the hospital, saying these patients were being killed because they were being put on ventilators prematurely. We had reports of people dying in motorcycle accidents, but COVID being listed as the cause of death, with the examiner saying, well, uh, he had COVID, and we think that might be what caused the accident. And on and on and on with further ridiculous things. So pardon me, America. If there's many ample reasons why myself and others are highly questioning the narrative and exact totals of positive cases and cause of death. And let's not forget to mention something else. This all just happened to be an election year, didn't it? And fuck Trump. I am no fan of Trump. But without COVID and the economy tanking because of closures, Biden would have had no legs to stand on. It's not like Biden is some charismatic speaker with lots of great ideas. And everybody... And Democrats and Republicans alike, they thought Biden was a lame duck candidate and choice. 
And ironically, when Biden was announced on Super Tuesday back in March of 2020, it was only two weeks later that America shut down, locked down, closed up, and isolated. And I think the lack of toilet paper was a sign of all the bullshit that was yet to come. I want to say something, too. Speaking of my nurse that told me 80,000 people died of flu the previous year. I also, at the time, told her I was concerned that vaccines were going to become mandatory. And she said that she didn't believe that they should become mandatory. I went to get a COVID test uh, about six months later, had to get a COVID test for work, told my nurse, uh, my doctor, that I was worried that uh, vaccines were going to become mandatory. She said she didn't believe that COVID uh, vaccine should ever become mandatory. Uh, I talked to a friend recently who's a practicing physician. He's trying to be a physician. And he's totally uh, in support of people getting vaccinated, as were my previous two doctors. But he also stated he does not believe that they should be mandatory and that that's not right. (sighs) But anyway, please allow me to back up here. I'm, again, not trying to make this conspiratorial. conspiratorial. I really want to stick with facts and valid questions. Uh, But I will 100% stick by the fact that if not for COVID and lockdowns and the economic depression, and if not for the George Floyd riots, Uh, which started in May of 2020 and just so happened to coincide with the lifting of lockdowns in many places in the United States. Uh, We're definitely not getting on the topic of George Floyd and the protests and the riots and BLM today uh, because it's all about COVID. Once again, I am of the opinion that in an election year, if not for COVID and the riots, Biden would have had nothing other than counting on the fact that enough people hated Trump and wanted him out of office. And from my observation, almost every single person in terms of the average person, and average American that was heavily pushing the COVID hype and practically begging for lockdowns and masks and vaccines, they all despised Trump, too. And they took every opportunity to voice the opinion of what a piece of shit he was and how badly he needed to be voted out of office. Now, I honestly couldn't help but to feel uh, that in the midst of all this, there was kind of a wink and a nod going on between half the United States population that we're all in on it together in order to get him out of office by any means necessary, even if it meant burning their own houses to the ground. (sighs) Where were we? Kind of lost track of where I was going there. Oh, yes. How to lie with statistics. And one last thing which I consider to be lying with statistics. We have uh, thousands of reports of bad side effects with vaccines across the globe, uh, from heart inflammation to stroke to Bell's palsy and even death. Yet every major news outlet will say how rare this is and how they are perfectly safe and there are no bad side effects. And now, being FDA approved, why, we shall all be encouraged to go get those three shots and start giving them to children under 12 years old. But here's my problem with this. Okay, we can say that side effects are rare for those who get vaccinated. But you know what else is rare? Actually really getting sick or dying from COVID. They will only push the angle that we must get vaccinated, but never the angle that out of 8 billion people on the planet, only 225 million have so far supposedly tested positive with a death ratio of under 2% of those infected. They spent all of last year and uh, this year talking about every time that five people had bad uh, side effects when they got COVID with article after article about how we should worry that five people had strange and scary side effects from COVID. Yet when hundreds of people, or maybe even thousands, get heart inflammation or blood clots or stroke or Bell's palsy or die from the vaccines, it's no big deal. And it's rare. And it's nothing to worry about. Remember last year there was a report, it was out of New York. There was like five kids uh, got COVID. And it gave them some rare and life-threatening heart condition. 
And that was all over the news. And we were talking about five kids, which is sad, sure. But that was the biggest thing in the world to worry about. Uh, while we have no need to worry about any negative reports of vaccination, because it's so rare and only affect, you know, 10 out of every 100,000 people or whatever. What people must understand, and again, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but what they must understand is that this right now, this is the clinical trial and we are the experiment. There is no telling the ramifications of all this, what it will have on public health and individual health uh, over the next few years. Particularly when we're talking about three plus shots a year and now trying to do it to kids under 12 years old who, by the way, are already the most uh, safe in having any serious negative effects uh, from catching COVID. There are still parents out there begging and pleading to please allow my seven-year-old son or daughter to get the two or three doses of the vaccine of this experimental drug. Another little uh, report from last week was that pretty much uh, has been ignored is that vaccines, uh, they're not working so well for people over 65 years of age. Uh, The ones who really needed to be protected and who were the most at risk from dying from COVID. Guess what? Vaccines don't work so great for them. They're like uh, half as effective. Uh, than they are for people under 65. But the headline also reads, Vaccine effectiveness lagging for people over 65, but it works great for the young and healthy people. No shit. The vaccine works great for those who are already young and healthy, but doesn't work so good for those who are over 65 and who are already the ones who are most at risk. (sighs) That was who the vaccines were supposed to be for in the first place, was the most vulnerable. Yep, it's only about half as effective if you're over 65 years old. And what about those breakthrough infections? They say those are rare too. I've seen at least 20 reports of it in the past few weeks, past month or so. Many of them coming from celebrities and prominent figures. So if we're looking at 20 plus prominent politicians and celebrities who've gotten sick and hospitalized from breakthrough infections, how many regular people out there fully vaccinated are having breakthrough infections? In Massachusetts, uh, since July, there have been over 5,000 breakthrough cases of COVID reported in the fully vaccinated with over 80 deaths. As of May 1st, there was a decision by the CDC that was put into place to only track breakthrough infections that led to hospitalization or death. Uh, It's left the nation. It's left us with a muddled understanding of COVID-19's impact on the vaccinated. Again, we can say breakthrough infections are rare. But if they're only covering it when it results in hospitalizations or deaths, and usually only when it happens to politicians or prominent celebrities, they are purposely making it look much rarer than it actually is. Now imagine if they would have done, a, done that with COVID, only counted COVID cases that led to hospitalization or death. We'd have millions and millions and millions of less accounts of positive infection statistics. But they're definitely, they wanted to plump up the stats by showing every single case of COVID over the past 20 months. But now they want to hide it how many fully vaccinated people are testing positive for COVID uh, or getting sick from COVID unless it results in hospitalization or death. And folks, that should really, really make a person question the validity of the CDC. And let me again mention President Biden's recent comment that he wants to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated, even though, once again, the vaccinated are just as infectious as the unvaccinated. I want to say one more thing. The latest variant, which we hear about on a never-ending loop, is the Delta variant, which is stated to be at least twice as infectious and deadly as regular old run-of-the-mill COVID. The new and improved COVID. But think about this. The Delta variant was already known to be in the United States in March or uh, April of 2021. It had been studied since the previous October of 2020. And likewise, and keep this in mind, we already knew 
that people who were vaccinated were just as contagious as those who were unvaccinated. This has already been stated back in December of 2020, just as the first vaccines were rolling out. So we knew that Delta was in the United States in March or April of 2021. It had been studied since October of the previous year. Uh, so they already had have some idea that it was even more contagious and deadly than normal COVID. Yet the CDC in all its glory and expertise told the vaccinated in May of 2021, just as the Delta variant was starting to take off, that they could stop wearing masks. Now think about that. The CDC said that the vaccinated who were just as infectious as the unvaccinated and just as a new and deadlier mutation had arrived, that they could stop wearing masks. So, President Biden, who is really to blame for the so-called surge? Is it the unvaccinated or is it the CDC and the vaccinated who became the most likely carriers since they were told they could now be maskless just as a deadlier version of the virus was heating up in the United States? Are we looking at criminal negligence by the CDC, uh, absolute incompetence, or things going exactly according to plan? And speaking of according to plan, uh, we now have Lambda and Mu variants uh, that are taking off in the U.S. Been around in other countries for several months, and of which are resistant to vaccines. So right around the same time we are pushing everybody uh, to get vaccinated and trying to reach that magical 80% vaccination rate to quote-unquote return to normal, two new strains emerge in the United States in which vaccines no longer work, at least this version of the vaccine. And say, wouldn't it be great to now need new vaccines for Lambda and Mu because the old vaccines no longer work? Rinse and repeat. And let's do this indefinitely for the rest of people's lives. But my question uh, is, who is really responsible for the Delta surge? Because in my eyes, it would seem to be another account of the CDC appearing rather incompetent. And if not incompetent, then making things go exactly according to plan. And it's ironic that Delta waves are also the waves detected in the brain at the deepest levels of sleep. They live. We sleep. And one more thing in terms of this idea that we're discussing. Uh, I practically 100% guarantee that if we only looked at those who died directly from COVID and not with COVID, the number of deaths would drop dramatically. If we only took into account those people of which died directly from COVID alone and not from complications from COVID, I honestly bet the death rate would drop in half. It's like saying that a person got in a car accident and was in critical condition and then contracted COVID in the hospital and died, so they marked it down as a COVID death. And that's not the way this should have worked. And to do so is for the sole purpose of padding the death totals. And, you know, I'm not, once again, I'm not trying to be callous here. But hey, guess what? A person dies on this planet every second from something. An estimated 106 people die on this planet every minute. That's uh, 6,392 per hour, 153,424 per day, 4,479,000 per month, and 56 million people per year. A million people die annually of the flu on this planet. And a million people die of suicide every year globally. Uh, Nine million people die of starvation every year. 650,000 Americans die every year from heart disease. And we didn't even get into those cancer rates. I normally don't touch this subject with a 10-foot pole uh, because it's only used to create political division. I am both pro-choice and anti-abortion. And I have thoughts and opinions uh, both ways. But we also need to consider that in 2019, almost 900,000 legal abortions were carried out in the United States. We're looking about 750,000 abortions in the U.S. on an annual basis, and that's just in the U.S. 
Yet, a little over 4 million deaths from COVID, supposedly, on the planet in a two-year period, and we're calling for the mass vaccination of 80% of the population, or they're no longer going to be allowed to go to work, or go to school, or go to a concert, or go out to eat. How could anyone in their right damn mind look at this and not highly, highly question just what the hell is going on? And remember when these ghouls had helped to fluff up the COVID death numbers by digging up the graves of everyone who had died in early 2020 and checking them for COVID. They wanted to retroactively add extra positive rates by digging up the graves of everyone who had died over the course of the previous several months to see if they'd had COVID, even if the death certificate already stated it was a heart attack. In close of this segment, I hope I presented a little bit of an argument about how to lie with statistics. Who would lie with statistics? Why? They would lie with statistics, what they had to gain by lying with statistics, and why they still are trying to push by continuing to lie with statistics. Okay, so where are we now? I promise this episode is drawing to a close soon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, One of the most recent things from the past week uh, is coming from all kinds of mainstream reports, which is a bit surprising. And that is the fact that newly released documents show that Dr. Fauci, or Nas Fauci Ratu, as I like to call him, he lied under oath to Congress when he said that the U.S. did not sponsor gain-of-function coronavirus research at the lab in Wuhan, China. When in fact it does now look like the U.S. gave grants to the Wuhan lab of virology in order to experiment on gain-of-function coronavirus research. And what this basically means is that the coronavirus uh, was artificially manufactured to be more contagious and deadly in humans uh, through study on mice uh, for what they claim to be purposes of vaccine manufacturing. But what it is is creating brand new variants and mutations in order to study the effects and rates of infection and mortality and ultimately, uh, they claim, uh, how to treat it. And this mutation was specifically uh, stated to have come from bats close to the region. Uh, So one way or the other, however we believe this came to be, bats would appear to be the point of origin. And Dr. Fauci told Congress that they were not funding gain-of-function research, but newly released documents would indicate that that was a lie, and Wuhan was actively working on the artificial manufacture of new strains of coronavirus. One thing Fauci did not deny was that the United States government, under his direction, gained millions of dollars in grants to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, which ran through both the Obama and Trump administrations. Now, I believe I mentioned at the top of today's episode And that's the fact that when this story first broke uh, back in December of 2019, uh, that a new strain of coronavirus was on loose in China, it was stated that in all uh, likelihood uh, that it was a lab leak out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It was only after Trump started calling it the China virus and saying that China would pay for this attack that the media and the Democrats started denying the possibility that this was a lab-created virus uh, that had escaped into the population. And not only did the uh, media deny it, uh, but social media started flagging and blocking uh, any and all information uh, that this was a man-made virus that escaped out of the Wuhan lab. I myself had stories and articles flagged and censored, as I'm sure thousands of other people did too. And once again, in showing the infallibility of these expert fact-checkers, it's now once again put into question if this was a man-made virus and what part Wuhan played in its escape uh, into the public. Now, uh, we weren't allowed to talk about it nine months ago, and now we're once again allowed to ask questions and point fingers at the Wuhan lab. And not only are we scrutinizing and pointing fingers, but the infallible expert of Dr. Fauci 
is now getting questioned by mainstream media as the emergence of new evidence is coming forward that not only did he direct funding of U.S. taxpayer dollars to the Chinese lab, uh, but he may have also been aware of the gain-of-function uh, research that was taking place there. <sighs> he knew that there was purposeful mutations of coronavirus strains, uh, and they were trying to make them more contagious and lethal. Now again, many will call this conspiratorial. Uh, but look into the relations of Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates and their ties to the WHO and the CDC and John Hopkins, which are all the three leading organizations who are controlling uh, the COVID data, as well as their connections to the pharmaceutical industry and the field of medical technology. Now, again, say uh, the many conflicts of interest. And honestly, honestly, I doubt anything will come from this. And I could be wrong, but I highly doubt we'll ever say conclusively uh, that Wuhan manufactured this virus and whether it escaped on accident or on purpose and whether or not Dr. Fauci uh, was an accomplice to this. Uh, but there's obviously enough suspicion that mainstream on both sides of the political aisle are investigating and asking questions. Let me say, I think, I think Dr. Fauci is a weasel and he looks like one of the seven dwarves. And I really hope that he loses all credibility and will be out of a job soon. And it doesn't seem likely, but Fauci has been wrong or has presented conflicting information on so many occasions. Fauci, who said people shouldn't attend church or go to school or have weddings or funerals or allow their businesses to be open, but he had no comments when millions of people were out protesting and rioting uh, during the George Floyd fiasco. Fauci, who through private emails told friends there was no need to wear masks, they were basically useless unless in highly contagious areas, yet recommended that every American wear a mask even if they were in their own homes with their families. At one point, Fauci was even trying to recommend people wear goggles because COVID could enter through their eyes. I know a lot of people think Fauci is some shining example of integrity and expertise. But in my mind, the guy is nothing but a tool and a shill for Bill Gates and the big pharma vaccine push, and he has no credibility whatsoever. Last week, Fauci stated that the positive cases of COVID were 16 times too high to return to normal. So according to Fauci, even though more than half the U.S. is fully vaccinated, we're still 16 times too high to return to normal. So if that's the case, even if everyone in the U.S. was fully vaccinated, according to Fauci, cases would still be too high to return to normal. We'd have to only have like 3,000 people hospitalized across the country in order uh, for us to return to normal. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned and can tell, things aren't going to go back to normal. I think too many people have been affected and are pissed off now to ever allow things to return to normal, whatever the hell normal was to begin with. Fauci also said this week that he expects many, many more vaccine mandates to come where people will not be allowed to work, go to school, fly on a plane, or attend any public events without a vaccine passport. And kids under 12 will soon need the vaccine or won't be allowed to go to school. And yeah, kids already need vaccines in order to go to school, but not vaccines that were just developed less than a year ago. And speaking of no credibility, do you remember in 2020 when the CDC sent out the very first batches of COVID tests in the U.S. that were made available? These were the first COVID tests made available, and they were given by the CDC in early 2020. And then we came to find out that thousands and thousands of COVID tests were tainted with COVID. Yeah, that's correct, folks. The very first test kits sent out in early 2020 by the CDC were themselves infected with COVID. And most people were just like, whoopsie, accidents happen. We all make mistakes. That was the very first instance uh, that all of my trust of the CDC went right out the window in terms of dictating how we should respond to COVID. That's a pretty big fucking mistake to make. The beginning of the virus and lockdowns in the U.S. and the first test kits that hit the market come from the CDC, thousands of them, sent all over the United States, and they're infected with COVID. 
How the hell does that even happen? How the hell uh, would we ever listen to another word they said after that? Remember last year when the CDC told us that up to 50% of positive infection reports could be false positives? It was only testing for traces of coronavirus, not COVID specifically. Specifically, Remember last year when uh, John Magufuli is the president of Tanzia. He made international news by questioning the validity of COVID tests uh, because they were getting false positives coming from sheep and fruit. They were getting positive results in Tanzia, uh, positive results when they tested sheep and various fruits for COVID. And hey, it's not suspicious at all that John Magufuli made international news uh, by questioning the COVID test, and then he ended up dead just a few months later. It's a comedy of errors that we're living in, and it's a ridiculous comedy of errors. And speaking of ridiculous, I also remember back in 2019, uh, when COVID was first making the rounds of news, they said that uh, domestic cats could spread COVID. And then in the U.S., in the middle of 2020, New York said that it had two of its big cats in the zoo had tested positive for COVID. And what did the CDC say to that? They told Americans that they should social distance from their cats and not let their cats around other cats. That cats could be uh, should be social distancing from other cats. How fucking ridiculous is that? But it's absolutely true that the CDC recommended that. I guess uh, just enough people thought it was bullshit that they pretty much dropped that mandate. Now we had a case of a couple gorillas in another zoo that tested positive for COVID. You want to hear something utterly fucktarded? The zoo in my home state, uh, in Indianapolis, is going to vaccinate every animal in the zoo against COVID. And not only that zoo, they'll be taking uh, such measures of vaccinating the animals against COVID-19 in many zoos, despite the fact that a few cats and a couple gorillas have so far tested positive for the virus. I guess there must be a buy one, get 1,000 free sale on COVID vaccines going on uh, for zoos. A few more ridiculous stories uh, from the medical experts from last year. Not only should we not have birthdays and funerals, but we shouldn't sing happy birthday because singing happy birthday will spread COVID. And whatever you do, be sure not to sing happy birthday in German because that's five times as likely to spread the virus. And I mean, the tragedy here, and a lot of people so involved in their own little worlds, they don't consider this, but think of all the canceled birthday parties that kids couldn't have, and the graduation, uh, graduation students couldn't have, and the goddamn funerals that families couldn't have for loved ones. I had an uncle who died alone in the hospital of something totally unrelated to COVID. His family wasn't even allowed to visit him because they were afraid they'd give him COVID. Nor was he allowed to have a funeral, at least not in any actual funeral home. How many people lost their last uh, moments with loved ones due to COVID uh, measures. How many birthday parties and weddings and funerals were canceled due to this bullshit? And not only is it not right and not fair, but it's fucking evil. And all of these uh, people, all of these members of Congress and Senate, they can carry on like nothing is happening. Getting pay raises. Millions of people are considered righteous activists while they burn American cities to the ground. Can't see your grandmother in the hospitals dying of cancer, but thousands of people can attend multiple funerals for George Floyd as it's carried out on every media outlet. It's just sickening. Remember last year when many reports were stating black people were twice as likely to die from COVID than any other ethnic group? That story just disappeared. But on a lighter representation of this comedy of errors, there were a couple months where libraries and businesses were told not to lend or sell books because books could spread COVID. They said COVID could last on services for days or weeks. But then we came to find out it was probably more just like a couple minutes. That didn't stop people from wiping down all their groceries with disinfectant. The experts were telling people to practice safe sex by wearing a mask. 
Yep, that's right. They said that people who are having sex should still be wearing masks during intercourse. I'm telling you, it's a comedy of errors. It seems like complete incompetence, or they were just throwing around every ridiculous idea uh, just to see how many people would fall for it. And where are we now? Where does that leave us? Again, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist or an anti-vaxxer. I definitely don't consider myself aligned with any political party or candidate. And I'm not going to say that the vaccine is going to kill me or inject me with a microchip if I take it. My main concern here is what we allow, what power we give to this so-called new normal and how it opens the can of worms to what comes next and what comes next and what comes after that. It's that old saying of give them an inch and they'll take it a mile. Today, it's an experimental vaccine. And tomorrow, it might very well be a microchip. And it's the next generation of the next five or ten years that will suffer the most from the power that we allow the government to have over us here today. There's another old saying of those who would trade their freedoms for security. They deserve neither freedom nor security. And what's been on the news nonstop for the past two years besides COVID? And now more recently, it's news article after news article with headlines like, Anti-vax mother dies of COVID and her final words were, I was wrong. Or, Republican talk show host and anti-vaxxer dies of COVID. Or, Republican states are the hardest hit by COVID. Or, story after story of people on their deathbeds telling everyone not to make the same mistakes they did and go get vaccinated. I personally know people who uh, are friends and they get off on reading these types of articles every day. And will say things like, it serves them right. I'm glad that Trump supporting son of a bitch died. I have personally heard so much unbelievably selfish and self-important Trump hatred and COVID fear-mongering from co-workers and uh, people I know over the past year and a half that it kind of sickens me. People have spent all of last year with unsolicited opinions of Trump hatred and how terrible COVID is, how this is all his fault, despite it's a global thing going on. It's not just the United States. How is Trump responsible for what's going on with COVID in Ireland or Italy or Russia? Still, they're going out of their way to look up news on Trump and watching the daily death ticker just so they continue validating their own hatred. These are the same people who are literally long onto MSN five times a day, uh, but when you have an opinion uh, that's something different than what they believe, an alternative point of view of information, they'll accuse you of watching too much Fox News. Some people, a lot of people, maybe most people, want to be divided And not only that, they want to be divided in such a way that they feel that they are the ones that's quote-unquote on the right side of history. They don't want to meet in the middle ground uh, because uh, their belief is completely correct in their mind. And the majority of the mainstream media is only feeding and fueling their superiority complex and this division. Last year it was Democrat versus Republican, and it still is, uh, but now it's vaxxed versus unvaxxed. And on that subject, I know people who are fully vaccinated and still angry when people don't wear a mask around them uh, because they're still afraid of getting sick. They're still afraid of getting sick despite having two to three doses. I know fully vaxxed people who are scared of going to lunch with other fully vaxxed people with the comment of, well, maybe we can go to lunch after this COVID stuff dies down. Seeing, hearing a lot of people with what I would consider to be a mental illness who are afraid to live their lives, even if they're fully vaxxed. And they're still angry at those who aren't yet vaccinated. I personally know people who are glad that vaccines are being mandated because they think that then we can return to normal. And again, not conspiratorial, but who stands to gain from this? You have the elite of the elites. You have the Great Reset. You have guys like Bill Gates. uh, 
You have, uh, he's one of the biggest, if not the biggest pusher of vaccines on the planet. You have the pharmaceutical industry, which is making record-breaking profits. You have the politicians and media, of which the pharmaceutical mafia is the biggest lobbyist and advertiser. You have globalist elements that want to further control the population uh, through surveillance, contact tracing, and preparing us for this endless new normal. You have weasels like Fauci, who are just little yapping lapdogs to these giant corporate interests. You have the agendas of the UN and the Council on Foreign Relations and international banking cartels. And all of this tells me there's a direct conflict of interest in regards to vaccinations and blowing COVID out of proportion as much as possible in order to control a narrative and fulfill a socioeconomic agenda. You have health experts and organizations like the CDC and WHO who have been exposed for these conflicts of interest uh, due to monetary donations many, many times. And companies like Pfizer, who was involved with the largest criminal lawsuit in U.S. history. And again, not one piece of this is conspiratorial. It's merely asking questions that should be asked as we're moving forward and not just blindly trust the science and allow them to put whatever they want to into our bodies and threaten our livelihoods and jobs and families if we don't bow down and submit and comply to these ridiculous mandates. And I mentioned earlier in this episode a couple of things. And that's that tens of millions of Americans uh, are medicated for, I think it's 40 million, uh, are medicated for antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs. And of the trillion dollars a year in annual pharmaceutical profits, the United States and Canada account for half of those profits. You have 40 million Americans who are on antidepressants as we speak. And related, you have another 30 million who are illiterate or can only read and comprehend at what is below a fifth grade level. We are the most neurotic country on the planet and as well as the most uh, uneducated in some ways. My opinion, Big Pharma wants us to be depressed and suicidal. They want us to be depressed and suicidal. They want to prescribe more medications. The media wants to take advantage of those people who don't or can't read or do their own research and only watches the mainstream news for their information. They want to keep pumping fear because fear makes more consumers of products and medications. The funny thing is, they're not saying anything that a lot of people don't already know, uh, be they Republican or Democrat or Christian or Muslim or whatever. I believe on some subconscious level, everything I just said is already known by many millions of people in the United States, yet they just don't care. They say, what can I do about it? Or what does it matter? And they just accept the way it is. They're afraid to talk about it. They don't think it's important. Uh, they think it's just easier to go along with the program and not to rock the boat and not to take the risk of being labeled as some crazy conspiracy theorist. Or more likely today, they're afraid of being seen as a domestic terrorist or an extremist for questioning the mainstream narrative. We have a vast majority of people who have given up before they've even started. And I completely understand that families and jobs and bills and debt and lack of free time has a lot to do with this attitude of defeat. And that's exactly the way the system is. It's not broken. It was created this way for a reason. And what free time we do have is being absorbed with trivial television and trivial entertainment and pretty much uh, what we could view as just more indoctrination and brainwashing to accept reality uh, the way they are feeding it to us and not to rock the boat. They say that in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. And I believe there are millions upon millions of people capable of understanding or seeing the bigger picture or asking these important questions. They'd rather remain ignorant while believing themselves to be educated He'd rather be obsessed with bread and circus and entertainment and sports and sports and sports 24-7 than to ask uncomfortable questions 
put themselves in any situation where they might actually have to stand up and speak out and do something about it. And their employment and their house payments and their student loans and their bills has them by the balls. So much that they barely have room to breathe, let alone stand up for something and help to inform and educate others. And most movements and activist movements and even online movements or, or conspiracies are nothing but controlled opposition, cointel pro, mockingbird, psyops to make people think that they're doing something when really they're just serving the purpose of the elite and the social engineers. And it's easy to have a defeatist attitude if you don't think you're fighting for something that's real and it's not just controlled opposition. My first thought here is to unplug yourself from political affiliation and unplug yourself from the idea of racial differences. If Americans unplug themselves from the label of left or right or red or blue or black or white, maybe we could finally see through the bullshit illusion together and unite to truly take a stand and make a difference. The powers that be want us divided by the red and blue line, and the media pushes this division at every opportunity. The mentality of this planet is just so abysmally primitive and sad, and almost completely unconscious and asleep at the wheel. And it angers me, and it frustrates me, and it makes me mad. Because, yeah, I'm pissed at the globalists, and I'm pissed at the pharmaceutical companies, and the politicians, and the media, but the people are feeding this. The people are being gullible, and going along, and being manipulated almost willfully. And not only that, but so many people seem to want the division. They want to be angered and feel superior to an opposing group. They want to feel something Anything that makes them feel alive. And it's sad that hate and anger and smug superiority is what makes so many people feel alive. And look at it, folks. Everything's going on today. Everything's going on in terms of human mentality and psychology. It isn't that different from the inquisitions of, you know, 400 years ago or the Salem witch trials or the Cold War mentality of us versus them and the other that was hiding in our society and trying to corrupt us. It's not so different from the idea of alien pod people who are our neighbors and co-workers been taken over or secretly trying to assimilate humanity into their extraterrestrial race and take over the planet. Who are the pod people? Are you a pod person? It's the same device as us versus them mentality of the Inquisition and the witch trials and the Cold War and alien invaders. And yes, folks, even the Nazi Holocaust, turning neighbor against neighbor and uh, creating a populace of finks and narcs and establishment shills. Incremental mandates over years, over a period of time. It didn't just happen overnight. It was a piece of the time. People say, survive the Holocaust. They say, people want to know, how could we have let this happen? And their answer is, we didn't really know. It happened so incrementally and over such a period of time in such a way that by the time they started throwing people into fucking gas chambers, it was too late. The powers that be, the social engineers, they know how to manipulate our fear and paranoia and insecurity against us. And it's sad that not only are we falling for it, but we're falling for the same exact methods over and over and over again for hundreds of years at a time. And my friends, if you made it this far, and I truly hope a few people out there actually have across time and space, I want to thank you for listening today or tonight or wherever it might be in space and time. I hope this episode made some sense and articulated some opinions and perspective uh, completely free of political bias or crazy conspiracy ideas or the intention to further divide humanity. And I am angry and I am frustrated and I am pissed off. But I encourage every one of you out there to do a little bit more to heal the division and to go against the grain of political affiliation 
go against the grain of thinking that it's pointless and hopeless to speak your mind and to rock the boat of conformity. Do not fear and help others not to fear. Just do your own little part, however small it might seem, to put out not only useful and important information, but positive vibes and a positive perspective. They want us to be depressed and suicidal and confused and fearful. Don't forget that. The powers that be want us divided and depressed and fearful and confused. We're more easy to manipulate when we are divided and afraid. And I'm not talking about hippy-dippy love and rainbow flower power here. You're allowed to still get pissed off and be frustrated and annoyed with human beings because I know I am. And sometimes anger and frustration can be productive and creating, uh, creative if you allow it to be. I am often inspired uh, by some anger and frustration. But it doesn't mean we can't agree to disagree and live and let live and be kind anyway. We all have something to learn from one another. Do what little things you can do uh, in your community. Be charitable. Raise awareness for your cause, a cause you really believe in. Be creative and artistic. Don't be afraid to speak your mind and raise your voice when it comes necessary, when it seems necessary. Fight against conformity and blind obedience. Don't take anything personally. Some asshole online calls you names, fuck them. Don't let them drag you down to their level. If a president wants to say that you are the problem with America and unpatriotic because you're not vaccinated, fuck them. Stand firm in your true uh, your truth, your personal integrity, uh, but always be open to new ideas and perspectives and possibilities. Speak your mind. Keep an open mind. Never stop researching and learning. Uh, try to unplug from political bias and division. Never blindly follow the science or allow media, uh, whether it be mainstream or alternative, to do your thinking for you. Ladies and gentlemen, you might be out there listening today. You might agree with a lot of what I said today. Please know that you are not alone. There are millions of people in the U.S. and tens of millions across the globe who are trying to fight this insane, whatever you want to call it, NWO globalist agenda of tyranny in every way that they know how. Even at the cost of being shamed or being called a traitor or losing their jobs or being censored and blocked and banned from social media. Politicians and globalists want to censor us and make us look like crazy extremists and uneducated morons. They want to infiltrate and control the message and control the movement. We all have to choose to fight this with every means at our disposal and every action uh, that within our power, every peaceful action within our power. And friends, I realized there was a lot I didn't uh, even try to cover today in the course of this you know, two-hour episode and a lot more that probably could have and should have been said. Uh, but that's why I put today's episode together. I realize only a small handful of people are even going to hear it, which is a shame because I think the information presented today and the perspective uh, should be heard by thousands of people. But despite the fact that only a dozen or so people uh, might listen uh, to this episode today, I felt it was something I had to do. Uh, I felt it was uh, my own personal integrity. Uh, if nothing else... Uh, I just wanted to better educate myself and allow myself to better digest and dissect the information. So, thanks for listening in today uh, to this episode of Conspira Porn. My name is Mad, and while I barely update these pages, uh, please check out conspiraporn.com, primordialproductions.info, and my original art page. Uh, if you want to support me, you can buy some of my art. It's at geneticmemory.online, or if you're on Facebook, I'm a lot more active uh, on Facebook at uh, the Private Conspiracult uh, page on Facebook, as well as the new page entitled Mental Pop. And I have absolutely no idea what the next episode of this podcast will be about. I'm open to suggestions if you're out there. Shoot me a, shoot me a line. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be released either. 
but I hope you'll tune in. And in closing, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Aldous Huxley, who, of course, was the author of the classic Brave New World. So until next time, be safe and peace profound. In the first half of the 20th century was the era of the technological engineers. The second half may well be the era of the social engineers. And the 21st century, I suppose, will be the era of world controllers, the scientific caste system, and the brave new world. Aldous Huxley. TV to let you know that your account is qualified for 50% off. In order to obtain the discount, kindly call us back on the number you see on your caller ID. Thank you.